Good to be here with you on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. And we have got a lot to get to here on the show. Of course, uh, it is mock draft season. Mm-hmm. Tis the season for mock drafts. So we'll get uh, we'll get to that. Uh, do we get presents with uh, with mock draft season? Well, I don't we know. Should, we should get something because, I mean, it used to be, Kevin, it was it was what, Mel Kuyper and he had time to shake. Now, anybody who got a platform that talk about NFL, Maurice Jones-Drew, Willie McGinnis, Laura Rutledge, Anybody that talks about the NFL is going to have a mock draft. It's going to be mock draft 11.0 by the time the draft actually comes. Absolutely. So we will get to that coming up in just a little bit. We'll look at the, the Falcons and, and Jags here. We'll, we'll take the 100-foot view because we are still a ways away, obviously, from the draft. We'll hear from Brooks Austin this hour. Dogs Daily on SI. Georgia National Champions. Just exactly how good was this team? And, of course, Brooks does an excellent job with uh, with breakdowns of film. Well, who are some of these guys that are most pro-ready that have announced for the NFL draft. We'll talk about that with Brooks coming up. Also, Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC podcast. A lot going on in college football with the transfer portal, NIL rules. Are there any rules? Does it need to be reined in? We'll talk to Chris Gordy about that. Also, Orson Charles, former Georgia tight end, going to join us. Brock Bowers, how good is that young man as a freshman? And, of course, his thoughts on Georgia winning the national championship. Final hour of the show, John Shipley going to join us with the Jaguar Report. What in the world are the Jags doing at head coach? They've got the number one pick. Again, could they literally pick anybody and not screw this thing up? And at 535, Ben's got troop talk this week. He sits down with Eddie Rojas of the Gator Collective. And uh, the Gator Collective, one of now what we're seeing in a lot of schools pop up, uh, a organization not affiliated with the school, branded with the school in some way, shape, or form, but not affiliated with the school kind of bringing boosters together for the purposes of name, image, and likeness. So uh, Ben will talk to uh, Eddie Rojas of the Gator Collective. Looking forward to uh, that conversation. But Ben, Mel Kuyper draft 1.0 is out. He's got the Jags taking Aiden Hutchinson, number one. And I told Christian this earlier. I said the beauty about mock drafts, and especially when it's mock draft 1.0, is if Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay say Aiden Hutchinson's going number one, Pretty good guess by the time four months rolls around and we get to the draft, Aiden Hutchinson will not be going number one. Uh, again, was Baker Mayfield number one on mock draft 1.0? I, I don't think so. Uh, was Trevor Lawrence mock draft uh, first round uh, 1.0? He might have been, but I think there was some thoughts of, would the Jags go quarterback? Would they go somewhere else uh, potentially that far out? So uh, mock draft 1.0, Jags and Aiden Hutchinson. Wow, let's. I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, say about Aiden Hutchinson, Kevin. I don't know if you did. I didn't hear anything about him until they beat Ohio State. Like I didn't know nothing about him. And I, and mind you, and how and, much and, did you hear after he got whooped? Exactly. In my neck of the woods, obviously, I'm very, very biased because I got. I'm in you know SEC, ACC, Sun Belt, and SoCon country. So I think when you think about a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, how much did he benefit? Because this is finally the Michigan team that got over the hump, won the Big Ten. You know, dominate Ohio State. Because this is the thing about Hutchinson. Now, obviously he was an Army All-American coming out of high school, and a lot of these guys he's going up against now went up against them in high school. Well, it was much of the same. And another guy who could potentially be a number one pick and, and a guy who was picked to be the number one pick when he came out, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau. He was on, he was on, uh, you know, I mean, he was on, t- you know, some sports show talking trash about how, you know, at Oregon they prepare us for, you know, uh, they prepare me for the next level better than Alabama did. Plus, I dominated guys. Well, Kevin, as you and BJ have, you know, shown me, well, they got Tate. And Kayvon, you didn't look much better than Aiden Hutchinson. The problem is, pass rushers are at a premium. 
If you can't get a quarterback, you try to get a pass rusher. You either, I mean, either you, either you want the guy behind the center controlling the game, or you want a guy chasing them that could, you know, that could just, I mean, just destroy any type of game plan. This thing about Aiden Hutchinson, though, you know, good player, and I'm not saying he's not a good player. And, and look, and I know Kevin, we were talking about Mel Cap. Mel Cap was supposed to be out of the business. He said, if Mr. Casey Clawson doesn't make it, I will quit. Well. That 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 quote came and gone. I know we have to, you know, when you're on TV as much as he is, he's gonna say a whole bunch of things. You can't quote him or take it to the bank. It's like us with our game picks, you know, sure to go wrong. Right. But Mel Kiper has been doing it a long time. But but Kevin, you know just like I know. Uh these tackles that's coming into the NFL that you went up against, these are gonna be top picks. They're not the best tackles in the league. The best tackles in the league, they reside in the National Football League. Now, could Aiden Hutchinson go and have a have a you know, uh, have a big time, uh, you know, uh, rookie season. Yes, but I, I think about the Jacksonville Jaguars team that in the last five years they've drafted uh, Chase on. They drafted Josh Allen, Tavon Bryant. Now you're talking about being able to add a potential Aiden Hutchinson. Now, look, I'm not mad at him. I am. This, this is not criticism of the player himself. I want him to go as high as he can go. But Kevin, you know just like I know. Now the world is gonna look at this kid. This kid's gonna be number one out of everybody in the draft. Is Aiden Hutchinson a better uh defensive end than Derek Stingley Jr. as a cornerback? I don't know. I don't know. But but Kevin, when you got a team like uh when you got a team like the Jags that needs so much, and they're very, very young, hopefully they get a Travis, a healthy Travis ET in 2022, a, a team that well, they, they improved from a year ago. They still got no one over our pick, but they improved. You know, they they won, they won uh no multiple games this year, but I just think for me, I look, I judge Aiden Hutchinson on big time competition, and every time he went up against, big, and I'm not saying Ohio State isn't, it, it, he got dominated. He didn't get, he didn't get, he didn't get beat up. He got dominated. Right. So we, I mean, look, it, it is one game. I mean, it's hard to judge anybody against Alabama, Georgia, because I mean, who you know, they beat, they beat each other. They don't two beat. Well, I was a Texas A&M beat Alabama, but yes, yeah. Kevin, I just think that. We've seen enough of this, though, right? We've seen enough of with this. They come the hype train now. Josh Allen and I'm talking, not the Josh Allen in Jacksonville, the Josh Allen in Buffalo. I was wrong about him, so I'm going, I'm going to miss, especially with them quarterbacks. But the thing about Aiden Hutchinson, he's built to get, you know, get out to the passer. And I don't know how good these tackles, Evan Neal's of the world, how good they're going to end up. And uh, you know, obviously, when you think about um, Warren McClendon, I hope he's going to end up a potential first round pick. You didn't even if, if Aiden Hutchinson's name wasn't called before the game, you wouldn't even know he was. And that happens. But the best of them, they should have they should find a way to at least make a couple of plays that didn't happen. We'll see. But I mean, obviously, Kevin, you know, that hype train yeah. is real. It's mock draft 1.0. So I mean, again, a lot could change. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I to me, I think the Jags, and we'll get to this in just a little bit, they have a lot of needs. Uh, not necessarily just uh, defensive line, uh, defensive end type guys there. But uh, he did go on. I, I heard Mel Kuyper talk about this. He has the Falcons taking Derek Stingley Jr., which would, be, which would be interesting. Whoop. Which would be interesting because that would be three picks in the last three years uh, in the first or second round where they've gone defensive bet. Obviously, you had A.J. Terrell. You had Richie Grant, second rounder uh, last year out of Central Florida. And then you would take yet another defensive bet potentially in the first round. I'd be two DBs in the first round in the last three drafts. Is that a nice idea, Ben? Or do you think the Falcons, with all their needs, are saying, let's go get a guy in the back end? Because as you said, mm-hmm. I could get the best corner. I could get Dion and Dion Jr. Jr., mm-hmm. right? And say, those are my two corners. And if the Falcons cannot get to the quarterback and create pressure, it's not going to matter, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they simply can't stand back there and cover all day. So do you think that's a 
an interesting kind of mock to, to, to put that out there? you think the Falcons would actually be interested in Derek Stingley given some other needs there in that first round? I think they will because, uh, Kevin, I think with this pick, this is what, you know, ROI, return on investment. You think about A.J. Terrell, it was a questionable pick when people, when he did it, but who made the biggest stride in the second year? That would be A.J. Terrell, and you mentioned it. Am I going to get these linemen to go that long? It's almost like these linemen aren't allowed to be good uh, if they go to Atlanta first round. I'm not even gonna, <laughs> you know, or, you know, Jamal Anderson, the other Jamal Anderson, uh, the one from Arkansas. Yeah. So I, I just think that – and look at look at their division. That's what they're really doing. Hey, man, you know, if Michael Thomas is going to be back next year, you know, uh, you know, for them Saints – you talk about what you know. You talk about what they're doing out there in Tampa with Mike Evans, and you know who knows going to be on the other side. But you got to deal with that. And I think the hardest position, one of the hardest position, not named quarterback, is the cornerback position. You get an AJ Terrell, you get a Derek Stingley. You got two guys still under rookie deals that you still can hopefully build, you know, jail with. So, and Kevin, Atlanta needs a lot. Like Atlanta needs a lot. I mean, running back. We, you know, you know they're not finna get no first round. Uh, Spend no first round pick on the on the running back. You talk about an old lineman. Well, they've already got what they they got two first round picks in the same draft. Uh, you talk about D lineman. I mean, I don't know if nobody stands out uh, in this D line draft that they're not going to get a linebacker. I just don't see. So I think the safest pick because of how fast AJ Terrell has progressed. I think you do get a Derek Stingley because Kevin, you know, just like I know, three years ago Derek Stingley was the number one cornerback in the country. He was a true freshman. Well, because of rules, he had to stay there two years. He had to stay there for, you know, two more years. So, Derek Stingley in Atlanta, I, I think that's a nice pick, to you know, considering how many knees you have to fill with Atlanta. Yeah, and again, this is all well out. We haven't even gotten to the, uh, what, the senior bowl hasn't happened yet. Yeah. We haven't gotten to the combine. We haven't gotten a chance to uh, do some of those things that certainly can change some minds, some draft boards uh, out there as well. I just thought it was, you know, interesting given the Falcons' needs that, well, yeah, they probably could take a corner. That wouldn't jump off the list as one of the top two or three positions on the field that they really could use some top-flight help uh, there on that football team. But I know that uh, a lot of these early mock drafts I've seen, everybody has said the draft gets interesting for them with Atlanta because they just don't know what Atlanta is going to do because there's so many options for them. Obviously, Jacksonville can do a number of things, but you get to Atlanta, it's like, are you done with Matt Ryan? Because if you think you are, would you take the best quarterback you can get and let him sit for a year? You know what I mean? It's like, if you think Matt has got one more year, do you go ahead and draft one now? Or do you say, well, we think maybe a quarterback's next year. But, God forbid, I mean, I say this, but front offices say this way. God forbid the Falcons are better and go 10, 11 wins or something. And, well, now you're picking at the mid to bottom of the first round. And you may not be able to get one of those guys that you thought you might get to replace Matt Ryan. So, very interesting uh, to see, I think the Falcons, uh, I don't say the first round hinges on that, but at number eight, a lot of people right now seem to be very lost as to what the Falcons could potentially do here in this upcoming draft. And and, and rightfully so. I mean, Kevin, when you think about this Falcons team, you know, they got so many holes to fill. Their best running back, play receiver. Right? When you talk about a guy like Kyle Pitts, obviously he he was able to fit the bill, but he had one touchdown. When you talk about this defense, I don't. most people don't even know who Deion Jones is anymore. He just started a middle linebacker who, you know, I, I just think that when it comes to this team, and, and, and mind you, this is just a draft. Obviously, Atlanta's going to hopefully address some things in free agency as well. But I would, I would think that Derek, Derek Stingley Jr. is a guy that that has been relevant as of late. He's not a Johnny Come lately. He was a be, he might have been not named Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow might have been the best player on that team, you know, uh, three years ago in uh, LSU. So I, I do think it's a safe pick because you know he understands the position because Kevin. If you do get a quarterback that's going to wait, mm, that's going to, you know, do we start that? Oh, if you get him in the first round when Matty Ice ain't playing, what do you pull him? I think they're going to go more free agency with a quarterback that understands or 
You know, maybe they wait till next year. Matty Ice, he got a lot of money on the books, man. And people don't want to pick <laughs> that up, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Cam says two second round picks, maybe go QB. I, 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 and, I, and I'm going to say this. I know people don't like it. Um, uh, when you think about Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins got drafted the same year RG3. They got RG3 in the first round. They got Kirk Cousins, like the forefront. People thought it's not going to work. Well, they knew that RG3 could potentially you know, get hurt. And you see how you know Kirk Cousins' career has gone on. Who Who's to say that, Kevin? I mean, go out there and get two. I mean, because we forget. Um, I can't even think of his name. Josh Rosen. It's the freaking backup. So <laughs> who knows? You might have a you might have a you might and Felipe Franks is the third string. You might have a couple of quarterbacks already on your roster, which most teams they want to build from within because they know the culture already, yeah. they know the offense, but we'll see. Yeah, Josh Rosen, uh first round pick's been I think he needs another team to be on. Uh, uh, him, 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 him and uh him and Ryan Fitzpatrick, they're trying to battle for him, see who how many who gonna play for all thirty two teams before their career's over. Yeah, uh, Adam Fisher sending us a note, Ben it says Derek Stinkley and AJ Terrell will be a really good yes, quarterback. Beautiful team. I'm not saying they wouldn't be. Yeah. I'm not saying they wouldn't be. I'm saying would that be a surprise pick? Given some of the other deeds, like, hey, if you are going to keep Matt Ryan, you kind of need him to stand upright. And he was the most hit quarterback in the National Football League uh, this year. Your running game was non-existent. Right? You went out and said, hey, Mike Davis, you're going to be the man. Uh, you didn't even start at some points. You got beat out yeah. by a hybrid wide receiver at running back. You got, I'm, again, you don't, my estimation, you don't address running back in the first round. But nevertheless, offensive lineman, running back. Uh, if you Line have no idea what's going to happen at wide receiver, you probably need to go get another one. You need a D lineman. I mean, we, we, yeah, we yeah, tried yeah. to avoid the inevitable. Yeah. But Atlanta needs Aiden Hutchinson. They need Kayvon Thibodeau. They, you know, they they need. Now, I will say this. I mean, you know, do you want to go out there and get a, a, a Nicobe Dean? You know, I mean, because he he's he's that type of player. When you look at what what you know, Michael Parsons meant to you know a Dallas Cowboys defense. I know we're gonna get to it later about do you draft need or best available. When you in that top 10, Kevin, you know it's iffy because top 10 picks in football are like top 10 picks in basketball. You expect those guys to pan out. Most of the time they don't, but you expect those guys to be, uh, you know, you know, uh, opening day yeah, starters. Yeah, with much draft capital as you're expand, uh, using to take those guys, they got to work out. We've got more to come. We'll take a look at what Atlanta and Jacksonville needs. Obviously, in the draft, two top 10 picks uh, between those two teams. They've got Jags at one, Falcons at eight. We'll take a look at that when we return. Brooks Austin going to join us in about 20 minutes here on 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. He's going to join us in about 15 minutes here on the show. We'll talk about Georgia winning the national championship. Brooks does a great job with film study as well. We'll find out who are some of the dogs that are going to excel at the next level out of this 2021 football team. He'll join us in just a little bit. But Mel, Mel Kuyper's draft, mock draft 1.0 out. Uh, ben, obviously a lot of speculation about who needs what. Let's look at Atlanta and Jacksonville and kind of what their big needs are going here uh, into the draft. Let's start there with the Falcons. Obviously, D-line, we talked about linebacker, offensive lineman. I put quarterback uh, as a question mark. I don't know if it's an overall need because I think Matt Ryan still got – I think he's got more than one good year left. I mean, this was the first year in a decade, Ben, that he did not throw for over 4,000 yards. So he almost had a string of a decade straight of – 4,000-yard seasons, and I don't think uh, – I think our good uh, friend Cody Queen said only like one other quarterback had even done that. I think it was uh, Drew Brees. He missed it by like 34 yards. So he still got – and that was with an offensive line. It was horrible, couldn't block. He got hit more than anybody in the draft. So I don't know if quarterback's an overwhelming need, but as you look at Atlanta, picking at eight – we kind of talked about this with, with Derek Stinley, just not even thinking about players. If you're looking at just the roster – 
What's the one position group you think that that's got to be addressed or it's going to be bad? Oh, man. Uh, I know it's crazy, even though, because, you know, because I know Maddie Ice went out there and, like, did some. I think it's wide receiver, uh, Kevin, because the thing about it is, is, I mean, Kyle Pitts was, you know, he was force fed. I mean, because you don't have, you know, I, I mean, I think they're going to move on for Calvin, really. I mean, because obviously they support him and what he's doing, but he's hurting the team because you are number one guy. You got to have a guy on the outside that's been, you know, because the one thing Matty Ice has always had is had, you know, he had Roddy White. He's talking about Julio Jones. He has neither one of those guys now. So I do think you're going to want to either get a, you're going to have to get a wide receiver because it makes life easy. A number one receiver makes life easy for for a quarterback because that's who you can depend on. They know they're going to uh, get double coverage and they're going to make life better for everybody around them. But I will say, when you think about this Falcons team, they need a running back. They don't need an elite one. But they need like okay, Jarek McKinnon, and I know Jarek McKinnon right now is playing for the you know for the 49ers, and obviously he's in that Kyle Shanahan offense. Jarek McKinnon ain't the most you know dynamic runner, good running back, but it's it's the stability he he uh you know he provides can catch the ball in the backfield, can make you know can run in between the tackles. The thing about the Falcons is it's like if it's third and two, we like uh because number one Cordell Patterson is not a running back. Now he he does it, but. That's not what he does. Mike, I mean, Mike Davis scored the last game of the season. He was just as surprised as everybody. He like, he, he scored. <laughs> like, yeah, man, because that's – so I do think, Kevin, wide receiver is a huge need because that's what we know Atlanta for, to throw the football. They ain't had a solid running back since, what, Devonta Freeman? And when I say solid, I'm talking about a guy that's going to give you quality, you know, quality uh, touches, going to be able to kind of seal a game if, if you're up by six or four and you got to do a four-minute drive. So I think with Atlanta, wide receiver, because – I do. While Kyle Pitts is giving you production, he gave you one touchdown. And I think that if you're not affecting the scoreboard, you're affecting the you know the box score, but not the scoreboard. He's gonna need some help. Got to get a running back. And unfortunately, Atlanta's gonna have to get a D lineman. Like it's almost like it's almost like you start saying to yourself, "What is it about Atlanta that they just the D lineman just it just don't work out?" John Abraham well, I mean, uh, comes all the time. Well, I'm saying, but anymore in the NFL, you mentioned two position groups. You don't. Anymore, unless they're just really special. Yeah, you don't do linebackers and running backs in the first round. No, I mean, no, said, no. unless it's a Luke Keekler, Michael Parsons, right. or you know, like a you know, a, I mean, a Patrick Willis. Yeah, but but what I'm saying is too, Kevin. This is the thing: the draft is something that I that I can get that I can kind of develop a little bit. Like like AJ Terrell. I mean, uh, Derek Steenley, We can develop him a little bit, but they're gonna start. So what you really ask yourself is, who can we get that could be a key contributor? While also being a rookie, that and those are a lot of those are a lot of question marks. But when Kyle Pitts went went where he went, people are like, oh because because one he went the highest ever, but he's replacing Julio. Let's call it what it is. Gave you production, but not the touchdowns. What they were saying about Julio towards the end, always going to give you yards, not the touchdowns. And now and now Kevin, the old line. I mean, I don't know the old line is that that's another thing because Matty Ice. I mean, he, you know he's tough man. He's going to get up off the ground. Matty Ice, he's closer to forty than thirty. You know, because he ain't, he ain't Asian back. <laughs> You're right. So I, I just think that when you think about this Falcons team, yes. You know what's crazy, Kevin? It's almost like, listen, pick a pick a position group, spin a wheel, whatever it land on, let's just get that. Because you don't really have a building block. Like, who is my building block on defense? A.J. Terrell? Who is my building block on offense? Kyle Pitts? That's the scary part. If you build a block in a left tackle on offense or a defensive end or a linebacker on defense, it's, 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 it's going to be a long season yeah. probably even next year, and too. I, I didn't want to clarify. I didn't say linebacker, middle linebackers. Yeah, you middle linebackers. Yeah. Yeah. Outside yeah. linebackers. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, you can, if you can get – but see, once again, with DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller, I don't see nobody in this draft like that. Yeah. And unfortunately, 
we we like why y'all gotta compare him to the greatest? Because these guys started day one and they obviously they're gonna hear their names called again. Uh, one interesting thing before we move over to, to, to Jacksonville here, Ben, was uh, you know, again, I agree with what you said. The Falcons are gonna be all in with with Calvin Ridley saying, look, middle help, take your time, get better, do what you gotta do. That's the humanitarian side of it. The business side says, what what, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, do we need to move on? Mm-hmm. Do we have to? Because, again, I think the Falcons went over half the season without him. I know it had an impact on their team. He knows it had an impact on the team. Obviously, he does that. But he, obviously, Henry mental uh, health, no question. But at one point, do the Falcons say, as you said, we've got to get somebody that can play. I mean, we appreciate you working, but we are down a player. We are down a receiver. We are down a big part of our offense because we have, and they said themselves, we have no clue. What's going on with Calvin Ridley in terms of him coming back? He's getting help. He's doing that. But I think it was before the last game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they asked several Falcons folks uh, uh, about that, including Arthur Smith, head coach, and he said nothing's changed. So if nothing's changed then, what's to say anything's going to change by the draft? Is anything going to change by the preseason? Is he ever going to come back and play football? Obviously, that's the least important thing. But if you're running an organization, that's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to help this guy, but if he's not playing again, I've got to move on on the field. And if you're the Falcons, they've had a history. Leo Jones, Calvin Ridley, mm-hmm. Kyle Pitts. Mm-hmm. They will move up, and they will make moves to get pass catchers in the first round. It's kind of like Would it's, you it's, do it with the uncertainty? No, I couldn't. Because, Kevin, like it's one of those things to where – and, and and make no mistake about it. This is this is a different NFL we talk about. We live in a more of a PC culture now, to where you have to kind of be sensitive to the mental health side because you don't want to seem insensitive to it. You might not understand it fully, but how many number one receivers are not out there and it ain't because they injured? That would be that would be Ridley. He's the only one. How many guys are coming up on a second contract that would do this? Only Ridley. And what Ridley is really doing is, I mean, if you are a ladder, like you say, look, it's it's the most important thing. Because we we want to we want to you know we want to honor him, but it's hurting us, and it's like this, Kevin. Look, if we're in a band, right, and you're <laughs> the lead singer, and I'm the drummer, and right before you know right before it's time, hey Ben, you you got to be lead singer. What? And, and, <laughs> now now listen. Now do I know the songs? Yeah. Do I know when the you know in the solo? Yeah. But I'm not a. I can sing, but I'm not the guy. I think what happened was think about this. Everybody had to go wherever you were. You moved up. You went to number three. You went to number two. Number two. Number one. And I think what it is is I think you make a good point. Arthur Blank is like, look, I'm going to say the right things, man, because everything is clickbait. Now, behind the scenes, I'm like, what in the world? Because you put us at – so I do think they got to move on for Ridley. You got to replace him with that type of production. I don't know if you want to pay that type of money because some of these guys coming up on some big deals. You don't want to – receivers getting paid like like quarterbacks. But, yeah, Kevin, I do think you got to move on from him because who's to say it doesn't happen in 2022? And and, and going to be – think about really want to talk to you, man. Because at the end of the day, this is what you do. And I respect it, but no, we, we got to run a business, and I can't run a business like that. All right, over to Jacksonville. Obviously, they took the quarterback uh, last year in Trevor Lawrence. We just said Mel Kuyper draft, mock draft 1.0, says Aiden Hutchinson. I think the Jags obviously have interior D-line issues, offensive line issues. I think they have, despite the fact they've drafted wide receivers, I think they still have wide receiver issues. I say I want to add running back on there, but again, I think James Robinson was misused. Obviously, they missed Travis Etienne, who mm-hmm. never got to play mm-hmm. because of the torn ACL. So I don't know if that's necessarily a weakness or they just were misused and injured at that position. And when guys come back, they'll be much better. But where do you see Jacksonville? I know uh, BJ's not here, but I'll speak for him because he's told me this off the air. He goes, 
If I'm Jacksonville, I'm taking Neal from Alabama. I don't care. G- give me a lockdown offensive lineman to protect my quarterback, and I can figure it out from there. What say you? I, I, I agree. I couldn't, I couldn't agree wholeheartedly. When you talk about a left tackle like Neal, you already know, you know the school he's coming from. Check. The position he's always played. Check. And you got Jawan Taylor, you know, who's still on a rookie deal on the right side. All I, I give you two words, Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow as a rookie, he missed the whole season because he didn't have an O-line. When you give him one, they win the freaking AFC North. All I'm saying is you have to protect the franchise. Now, people going to say, what about the wide receivers? You can address that at free agency. When people here getting getting because you got a bunch of young receivers who need direction from an OG, from a from a from a wide receiver that's been around, that want to come in and be that alpha dog. But but once again, Kevin, this is like Atlanta South. Because once again, you got a lot of holes, a lot. And I know they tried to address uh some holes last year. You know, uh they got, you know, they they got some nice free agents last year, but it didn't it didn't show on the scoreboard, it didn't show in the win column. So I do think you get you a left tackle, you live with the result. You go out there and you know you go you you address other things to the rest of the because if you get if you get Aiden Hutchinson, he's a good player, but how much does he impact your team right now? What well, the chase on gonna come off the bench? Josh, Josh Allen obviously is penciled in as a starter. Tavon Bryan, I mean, only only thing saving him is the fact that he was a first round pick. So yes, get Evan Neal, live with the result, prove bulky that you can go out there and make quality <laughs> decisions because right now their GM needs to prove yeah. that he knows what the hell he's doing because right now outside of Trevor Lawrence to Travis Etienne and maybe a couple of moves here and there I wouldn't trust bulky running my franchise right now and we'll talk to John Shipley the Jaguar Report coming up at the final hour of the program when we come back Brooks Austin Dogs Daily on SI will join us for talking Dogs National Champions and more with him next here on 3 and Out. Have you back here 3 and Out on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us and uh, joining us here on the program. Good friend from Dogs Daily on SI, Brooks Austin, joining us. Brooks, we talked to you a week ago Monday. Uh, so what's new? <laughs> just hanging out, just chilling. It's, it's off-season time, but, I mean, a, a lot's new. I think probably 20 different roster changes between – NFL draft declarations and transfer portal entries, like things like that. So I think you had uh, quite a bit of roster shuffling and and even some coaches coaching shuffling over the last week since we've talked. I think. Hey, I, and and I think uh, Georgia won the national championship. You left that part out, of course. Oh yeah, I think I think that too. <laughs> Did we, have we not talked since then? No, we We're talked. Talk we, since then. we talked the day of the game. Uh, we have not talked since then. So. Uh, it's been a blur. It's been it's been a ten day blur. Honestly, I mean the the whole the honest January just got. It's like it's the nineteenth already. It's like what? Oh yeah. I mean, I was in San Antonio from like the fourth through the tenth, and then the tenth you had the national title game, and the last week and the celebrations just been it's been nuts, man. But I, I guess that's what happens when business is good in terms of I, winning ball games. I was gonna say, Brooks, what do you see as? Obviously, we know what it did for the fan base, and you can see that. But what do you think is the effect of Georgia winning the national championship on that program outside of the obvious, which is obviously Georgia fans get that 41-year monkey off their back. What does the effect of them finally breaking through and winning it do for that program? Uh, Just kind of the final notch on the belt, right? Just the, the final box left to check for this regime. And what they're doing right now at Georgia, you know, whether it was Ohio State, Ryan Day coming to Atlanta and recruiting guys like Kojo Antwi, or whether it's Dabo Sweeney coming to Atlanta and recruiting guys like Barrett Carter, or whether it's uh, Nick Saban coming to Georgia and recruiting guys like Will Anderson, most of those recruitment battles, they end with one final counter-recruitment point against Georgia in years past. Well, they don't win titles. 
They, they don't down there. That's not what they've done. They, don't, they haven't done that since 1981. What makes you think you're going to win a title down there? And, and, and all, these other, all these other schools have been counter-recruiting with that one thing left because that's all they had left. They didn't have the NFL because Kirby Smart's breaking you know, draft records every year at Georgia. They're producing them at, a, at an ultimate rate. You don't have uh, a lack of brand awareness because Georgia is a national brand. You will, you know, People will pay attention to your football games when you go there. The last argumentative point that anybody had in terms of counter-recruiting against Georgia was the chip, and now they got one. So it, it, it's it's full gas, no breaks at this point. I, I said yesterday on the radio, this is not the culmination of a 40. It's both the culmination of a 41-year drought and the coronation of what is yet to come for this Georgia football program, in my opinion. And, Brooks, I mean, six years, though. I mean, when, when Kirby yeah. Smart gets the job, obviously it was, oh, you know, Mark Rick, Kirby Smart, Mark Rick, Kirby Smart. This six-year run, two two national championship appearances, one national championship win, one SEC championship. You talk about the recruiting. You talk about the infrastructure. You talk about the coaching tree. You look at what Mel Tucker does at Michigan State, breaking records. You look at the fact that you got Dan Lanning staying there and coaching before he goes to Oregon. I mean, how much pressure, which I know that Kirby loves, but how much more pressure is Kirby putting on himself saying, look, I know that the stakes were already high, but now that the return on investment happened six years later – what else can he do to kind of do that, you know, for that encore? Yeah, sometimes Sam Pittman gets left out on that list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The coaching tree as well. So it, it's getting pretty strong right now under Kirby Smart. Some some real strong success stories. But, nah, dude, this I also said yesterday, this guy's a psycho. Like, he's a psycho in all the great ways. Like, when it comes to the most elite of elite, whether it's coaching, whether it's, you know, Fortune 500 companies, whatever it is, CEOs, whatever it is. The most elite are always psychotic about the way it is that they grind about their their business. And even when success comes, almost sometimes it makes them work even harder. That's what made Saban so great. It's what's made Saban great up until his, you know, early 70s like he's in now. Kirby Smart got back home, and as soon as recruiting was available, he took helicopters all over North Georgia. He's in South Georgia today. Like, the the dude does not stop. He doesn't want to stop. And, and In fact, I think this really – dumped gas on the fire that was him I mean the the pressure isn't there as much anymore but he's more of a a a self-critic than anything like all the greats are and I I think that's that's going to remain the same in terms of a a willingness to to strive for you know perfection in terms of coaching that's that's what he does Brooks Austin joining us here on three and out and Brooks you mentioned all the the comings and goings there at Georgia obviously Dan Lanning is out I guess before we get to the on the field stuff is there a concern that uh, Todd Munkin is still be, is he still being courted by NFL potential gigs? And on the the defensive coordinator side, is that as simple as just tell Will you're no longer an analyst and just slide over to be the DC? Or how how do you think that goes down? You know, I, I don't know. I don't think they're rushing to label the the defensive coordinator position. I think there's a there's a trilogy of minds right there when it comes to the defensive room at Georgia right now, and I think they all see each other as equals. I think that's the way they're approaching it, right, in terms of Glenn Schumann, Kirby Smart, and Will Muschamp. That's the way they're going to have to balance it. They're going to keep all three of them. They have to understand that each one of them is equally as important to the, the, to the overall picture as, uh, you know, the other. Um, as far as Todd Munkin goes, the longer we get closer, like the closer we get to full NFL offseason, because that's where he's going. If he goes anywhere, I would imagine he's going back to the NFL. Um, as an offensive coordinator, maybe for a, a defensive uh, head coach, right? Um, like, for example, let's say once the, the coaching uh, carousel kind of comes to a halt and coaches are in their specific spots, 
I'm just throwing a name out here. If Dan Quinn gets hired as a head coach and he's an offensive coordinator, I don't know why and has a good quarterback situation wherever he lands as a head coach because he is getting interviews. It's that type of situation. Defensive head coach needs a real strong offensive mind. That's the position I see. I think Munkin might leave for. But again, that's not gonna that's not gonna come about until the NFL dust settles and all those jobs are finalized in terms of head coaching positions. Brooks, uh, one thing about uh, you know what I what you know, what we experienced last Monday was I know you got a uh, Stetson Bennett, which might arguably be the best story in college football if you weigh everything. But I saw a myth. Uh, that that was killed as well. We thought in order to, to beat Alabama, you had to have a Deshaun Watson, a, a Trevor Lawrence, a, a Joe You're Burrow, and I'm and I'm not saying he did it on his own. But Stetson Bennett, man, to come back from that, I'm still trying to figure out what that was. Did the fumbles? Did not a fumble? But to go four for four, two touchdowns down the stretch with that with that big throw, just talk about the legacy of Stetson Bennett. We understand the legend that is him. You know, you know, uh, you know, serve, 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 serving up hot meals at the drive-through. <laughs> but talk about the legacy that is of Stetson Bennett at this point. So I, I think when it comes to the legacy of a national title-winning team, I think first and foremost you have to start with the defense. Before we get into any of this, you had to have a Deshaun Watson. You had to have a Joe Burrow. Like I still think that I still think that's true. Okay, I, I, overall I still think that is more than likely going to be the case moving forward in college football unless you have the best defense we've seen in two decades. Like, if that's what you've got, then, yeah, you can have a quote-unquote game manager at the quarterback position. That's all possible. Because I'll tell you this much, Ben, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He threw the ball 26 times in the national title game. That's the first time in the last 15 college football playoff games that Alabama has played where their opponent has not had to throw the ball at least 39 times. Okay. That doesn't happen. History is going to tell you that's not going to happen again. So the next time you see them in the playoffs, I still think you're going to have to throw it 35 times and throw for more than 300 yards and be efficient through the air. I think that's what it, that's what football is nowadays. Um, unless, again, you have the best defense we've seen in two decades. Now, as far as the legacy comment goes, there is no bigger legacy, right? There, there and For Stetson Bennett, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, up until halftime of that football game, guys were ready. I mean, social media was ready to throw him to the side. I saw blue checkers out here saying things like, if the backup can walk, he needs to be in the game right now. Okay, I saw those things on social media at halftime. And he goes on to win a national title, okay, and the MVP of the national championship game. It does not get any better than this. There is no ceiling higher than this. He is the only Georgia quarterback in the history of the program to throw a touchdown in a national title win. That's it. The, the, the legacy does not get any better. In terms of greatest of all time, he is not the most talented quarterback ever at Georgia. We know that. He's not even the most talented on the roster currently. He is the greatest story of all time. He is the greatest champion of all time at Georgia. Um, and if, if however you measure greatness, to me, that's the greatness of this. That is the greatest story I, I think Georgia will ever see. Wait a minute now, Brooks. I mean, you was using greatest, greatest, greatest with the stories. <laughs> now, I, I agree. Stetson Bennett is not the best, the, the most talented quarterback that's ever come through there. You know, you got the, you know, you got the David Greens, you know, you got the Matthew Staffords. But I know you're trying to avoid it. We know that Buck Ballou was up until this point the greatest quarterback because of what he did. But he handed the ball off. They wouldn't even let him throw it. We could, we could, I can say Man. it first, Brooks, and you and you could quote Look, me later. No, this is, Stetson Bennett just... is the greatest quarterback. In Georgia, in Georgia football history. 
Ben, this isn't this isn't a, a discussion just contained to Georgia football. This is the the discussion of how do you define greatest of all time? Do you fi- do you define the greatest of all time as the most talented no, individual that's best. across the board? Okay, that that's the best. The greatest of all time is what the greatest champion, whoever's the like, what, 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 is what, what, it a combination what, what, of both? Because Jordan is the combination of both. Yeah, Bill Russell's the greatest champion of all yeah. time. LeBron James is the best player. Well, think about, of all it, time. Well, think about this. I'm, so I'm, I'm, okay, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use you and me. I'm a, in the middle. Oh, but I'm, I'm gonna use you <laughs> and me for a second. Hold on for a second. I'm gonna use you. Just say we all play. We we play the same position, right? I got us. You know, I'm the I'm the five star, right? But I didn't. But I didn't win it, right? And you know, you would have you would have got it one. You to me, the greatest means I I was the last team standing. I was the so one that did me, it. That's, I, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that he's the best quarterback. But at the end of the day, um, uh, at the end the, of the day, Brooks, the easiest, if the David easiest Green, way to... DJ Shockley, Matthew Stafford, Jake Fromm, Quincy Carter, all in the room, and they having dinner, they can't eat until Stafford. <laughs> no, here's how you define the greatest of all time. Line them all up right in their prime. Who who are you going with? Who I'm not going with Stetson. I mean, I, I, I mean, <laughs> exactly. you know, so he's not I, the I mean, greatest of all but, time. But, so shut but up. Come on, but hold on, hold on. You got all these. You got you got a car. You got Quincy Carter on the front. You got. No. I played with David Green and DJ Shockley. But no. this is what I said though. I, I mean, I'm, me not picking Stetson doesn't make him not the greatest. But but this is the thing though. You know, um, I never ever thought that I would see a six foot quarterback go first overall. And they go Kyler Murray and Baker. You see what I'm saying? So I, I, but I, I did say this, though, before the season. I said, if Georgia's going to win it, it's going to be from a dude that grew up wanting to be a Georgia fan because it means something totally. I ain't taking nothing away from JT Daniels, right? JT Daniels got off the plane to Athens, and it was a sign that said, welcome to Atlanta. He don't know where he at, <laughs> right? So all I'm saying is it is the greatest story, and it's always going to be that because uh, you know how it is. Uh, you know how it is. Uh, Brooks, we ain't used to nuance, right? We used to, man, what we used to it looking looking a certain way. But if you go to the record books in high school football in Georgia, Stetson's name is there. And the fact that the first thing he ever won as a champion was the freaking national championship. But I'm, this, I mean, whoever got to write this script, it better be Spielberg because ain't nobody else going to believe it. Look. But I think he is the greatest because they trusted him in a way down the stretch like only – Elite quarterbacks get trusted. They they trusted him to make some throws. I'm saying who 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 is they? The I'm, coaching no, 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 staff. No, no. I'm not talking, <laughs> about, I'm not talking staff, about the Georgia I'll faithful. You, I'll tell you, I'm talking right, about Munkin. You, you are, you are Munkin gave him. Okay, remember this though. Remember this though, Brooks. The last national championship, ain't Cheney or I think it was Cheney. Your two best players, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, weren't on the field when you trying to go in. Now, I know game plans and situations, but you know you. Brooks, if you the if you the offensive coordinator and he just did that fumble, you losing it. Get out! You can't get him out <laughs> quicker, right? But, but those four throws, man, that's confidence. And yes, it's easy to talk about it because he did do it. But I don't know, man. I think that kid, he he's a gamer. He ain't gonna look the part, but but he he still got that ring coming though. That sounds so sweet. Line them all up. We're all taking Matthew Stafford, and you can't <laughs> tell me any different. Absolutely. I mean, we're all taking him. Yeah. 6'2", rifle for an arm, can throw it all over the place, a- agile and athletic in college. Stafford's the greatest quarterback at Georgia ever. He's not the most accomplished or greatest right. champion at Georgia ever. There you go. Brooks Austin, hey, we're up against it. We've got plenty to talk about as we go through this offseason. We'll talk soon, Brooks. Thanks much. See you, brother. We'll come back three and out. Southern Pigskin. Hour two, busy. Hour number two. We'll take three next. Chris Gordy, Locked on SEC Podcast, going to join us coming up next hour. We'll look at NIL. 
which has certainly been in the news a lot lately. Also, Orson Charles, former Georgia tight end, will join us here on three and out as uh, we get ready for our number two, Ben and Brooks. I think they could have talked all day about Stetson, JT, who's the greatest quarterback in the history of Georgia football. Had to, had, yeah, had to let it go. And it be, the thing is, that conversation happened, and B.J. Bennett, not on the show today. Not on the show today. <laughs> That's a yeah, B.J. Bennett argument for all time. We'll come back. Hour two, take three next here. On, good to have you along here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hour two, Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Podcast, going to join us coming up in about uh, 20 minutes. Also, Orson Charles, former Georgia tight end. Going to join us. We'll talk national championship with him. Also, get his thoughts on Brock Bowers, just beast, tied in there at the University of Georgia. But first, let's take three here on Three and Out. And we have a very special take three host today, Ben Troop. I mean, listen, all I know is I know I know he got good genes. I know that he comes from a good, you know, a good home. But I mean, but I question, I question his cakes that he that he eats. But 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 maybe he's gotten better. He, he's young. All right, we have my son asking, my son Rhett asking the questions today. So what do you have for us? Take one. Best player available or need? That's a great question. As a question of all questions. Ben, I am a, I'm always a need-based guy, and I'm I, I'm against the grain on that. I know Christian Shaker said, I am taking a player, the highest player I need. I, again, I know people are like, hey, if you got enough left tackles and the best player on your board is a left tackle, just go get another one. Uh, I, I, again, I think that's what Cleveland and the Jaguars do a lot. And where are they? I think they stay there. I, I'm taking the best player, the highest graded player I need on my board right when I can get him. I'm a need guy. Oh, Kevin, 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 Kevin. I mean, <laughs> the, thing, the thing about it is this. I mean, the best player available, you always want the best players. Look at any team. The best teams have the best players. And the thing is, if you can't find a spot for the best player available on the board, you shouldn't be a GM, Trent Balky. You should, you should be doing something else because, yes, every team has a need. The best teams have a need, but you know what I need most? What? The best player available. I need that every single time because I, this, this is what you really do, Kevin. You say, what do you rank on your boy? He ranked number one, you know, number one grade, grade A. Yeah. He's a first-round pick. Yep. But we got linebackers. <laughs> Listen, Michael Parsons, right? Look at what he did for that defense. D. Lawrence gets hurt. Move to the, move, listen, move him down there. 13 sacks. D. Lawrence comes back. Move him back to linebacker. I think he's the only player uh, in the league that you have only two over 200 snaps at both, you know, defensive end and linebacker. I just think that sometimes, Kevin, don't overthink it. It's like this, Kevin. Kevin, you're a baseball guy. Somebody goes, hey, listen, man, I need a pitcher, man. I got this guy that can – he can hit you. Listen, he can – I mean, he all he do is mash. I can use him. Why? Because we always trying to score runs, so it's almost like we can talk about. Because Atlanta's have been driving for need for a long time. How's that worked out? They get they got two offensive linemen in 2019. <laughs> me and BJ were there. So you now what we need is the best available player. Give me the best available. Are you agreeing with your dad? Or are you agreeing with Mr. Ben? Oh, that's a trick um, question. I agree with Ben. Oh <laughs> my goodness! Somebody is not getting dinner tonight. Somebody is not getting dinner. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Ask the, the, what you got for us. Take two here. Take two. Why do teams reach on QBs every year, even when Great says they shouldn't? Great question. Where are you coming up with this? Well, I'm trying to tell you. Telling you what. These are very insightful questions. So, Ben, answer that. Because every year we see teams, got to get the QB, got to get the QB. They mm-hmm. panic. And all leading up to the draft, we're like, hey, there's only like really two mm-hmm. quality first-round quarterbacks, and we'll see five drafted. 
Why do teams keep doing it? Because because uh, Kevin, we talk. This this is uh, this is risk versus reward, right? The risk is, oh, he doesn't pan out. Quarterbacks don't pan out every year. What's the reward, Josh Allen? People people look at what Patrick Mahomes is now. That's not what they said coming out of Texas Tech, right? People look at people. You know, people start thinking about you know what can my quarterback do for my a quarter a good quarterback shapes everything. Because now when you're going through the draft, you saying to yourself, hey man, I want to I want to reach on one of these quarterbacks. Well. Let's, let's think about the quarterback was in the NFL. How many how many good quarterbacks is it? Ten? Maybe? It's a huge drop-off. Most quarterbacks, they're all right. They ain't bad. They like it. Look, they like, they like a, they, you know, they like, they like, they like soup when you're sick. You eat it because you got to, not because you want to, right? When you think about these quarterbacks, Kevin, you can do you can have a Baker Mayfield to where it's all hype. But then you can have a Josh Allen to say, I mean, so I think the potential of what he could be is why you do it, and it's the most important position, in, you know, in the freaking game. I, I still say I, I that, that's one of those things because it's the the most important uh, position on the field. Why would you take a guy that you don't think is worth it? I, I just never understood that. It's like if if this is the this is the decision that's going to get me fired. Would I rather say, hey, we didn't take a quarterback? I didn't see a franchise guy in the first round, so we went another direction and made the rest of the team better. So that we can continue to find a, a quarterback, and maybe the quarterback we have will get better when the rest of our team gets better mm-hmm. uh, as well. But what I don't understand is, well, we needed a quarterback, so we traded up eight spots and got a guy that we gave a second-round grade to, and we really didn't think he had a long-term potential. But we need a quarterback, and I'm going to get skewered if I don't take one, so I'm going to take one. I, I just don't understand. It was that year, what was it, uh, Christian Ponder. Uh, we saw a number of those guys, like six quarterbacks, taken in the top ten, and everybody's sitting there going, wait a minute. Three of these guys had a first-round grade, and one of the three was like 28-29. And we're taking six in the top ten. Somebody is just getting nervous and paying. Why would you take a guy ahead of his spot just because he's a quarterback when you don't? your own scouting says he's not going to pan out and you take him in the first round? That just baffles me, Ben. Well, that just baffles me. But, but, but it's the thing, too, Kevin. Sometimes it's a copycat league. So if we if you're in between team and Sandy, yeah, we need a we need a linebacker, we need a safety, but we kind of that quarterback is there, right? He got a chance. It's almost like saying right. we got us one too. And I, I, I you gotta trust your gut. Like I, I met I met uh I'm with the Titans obviously in 2006 when it's do you get my liner or do you get Vince Young? Now we need a quarterback. Now uh, Jeff Fisher wanted Matt Liner because went to USC, you know Matt Liner USC, you got the ties, head coach. Uh, but the owner Bud Adams from Houston. Uh, Vince Young from Houston wanted one of Vince Young. Now, I think both of them didn't last that long in the league, right? But I think Kevin sometimes too. It's almost like it's, it's the movie The Rookie. The dude get out of the car. He got he got his, he got his kids. He like stay here with your brother. He goes, listen, man. You know, you just threw ninety miles an hour. If I don't tell him you could do it, I'm gonna lose my job. But then I got to tell him. I like I had to tell him, but he's you know, he, he 49. What? So I think with the quarterbacks, Kevin, it's almost like you say to yourself, if we don't get the it's if if we pass up on him and he end up being a you know all pro, we could have had him. So I, I understand I, that I, you're scared of missing out, but if we're but again, if everybody's finding diamonds in the rough, there would be no rough. There would just be a pile of diamonds, right? Yeah. I mean, so yeah. I, I always think it's like, oh man, we think with the little development, and I get that part of it. But how many how many diamonds do you got to polish? I mean, you know, if, at the quarterback spot, and I'm not saying you just look, at, but there are certain guys who are like I need a quarterback. If Matt Ryan's sitting there, I'm taking coming out of Boston College. I think most people would be like, "Yeah, I, I feel pretty comfortable." Even if I said I think the Falcons should have taken somebody else at the time, I think you felt pretty comfortable that he could play. Yep. He could come and play. There are certain guys which you feel like are reaches. It's like, was well, anybody going to be beating the brakes off of you trying to get this guy from you? 
You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like, like we're jumping up into the top 15, top 10 to take this guy, and nobody's going to fight us for him. But we got our quarterback, maybe. Think he can play. I just never understood that, uh, why teams just jump up for quarterbacks. I realize it's an important position, but why do you th- – Every other pick, on you would never do that, Ben, for hardly any other pick on the board. Go against your scouting and your grades that you laid out in the mock draft to take another player. You wouldn't take a player that you thought was 30 picks lower nope. in the top 10? No. Nope. Oh, we got to have him, man. The, the, the only quarterbacks. I don't understand. All right, moving along. Help us out here, Rhett. What you got for us for the last one? Okay. Right, yeah. Pick three. Does name, image, likeness, in transfer portal need regulation or leave it alone? Boy, that is a complex question. I, you are coming up with some gems today. I mean, you are. Uh, for take I mean, three, B, I tell you, you what. Maybe like a BJ here because he'll be like, hey, man, he's trying to take my job. Some of these, <laughs> some of these questions. Uh, I would say this. Transfer portal, I don't think needs uh regulation because it, it's the only time that that as a as a as a player you kind of control your own movement like because yes you got recruited by teams and you pick one but this is where you go okay I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on myself now when it comes to naming them is like the Kevin we talk about this all the time all I know is guys get paid I know that it's a lot of ways they can get it done. I know that the school's not supposed to have any affiliation in it. I know that the head coach is supposed to know about it don't supposed to talk to nobody. I used to work at this major retail company, high, high end, and I was I was a part of our security. And I used to have to go downstairs, and I had to be to do the new highs. New highs like, yeah, um, you know, yeah, I be like, they be like, they asking all questions like, yeah, you know, PTO and all this. No, no, no. My job is to make sure you don't get fired. <laughs> AKA, when it comes to the NIL, I need to know where I can't go. Like, if it's a whole bunch of buttons, which one can I not push? Because Kevin, you know, just like I know. You start talking about money exchanging hands, period, it's going to get crazy. You start talking about money exchanging hands from 18 to 24-year-olds, and these guys got fanfare, they got stars next to their name, they got prestige, they had 50 offers. You know, I need to know what I can't do. I know what I can but I need to know what I can't do. It's almost like being at an amusement park. There are certain areas that have, they have, you know, uh, not only doors in front of, but locks on the doors. Why? People still turning that now. And the only reason why they didn't go in is because it was locked. I need to know what I can't do. Because Kevin, you know, just like I know, as soon as it's, listen, as soon as it's some type of investigation, yeah. it's going to be, wait a minute, they didn't tell me I couldn't do this. So I I, I definitely think it's got to be the NIL. Yeah, I, I think the the problem with NIL is it, it went from a good idea to it's the wild, wild west very, very quickly. Like, And again, I am all for people making money off of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I, 100%. Hey, I have an idea. I want to go make money. I have a brand. I want to go make money. The problem is you're seeing things pop up that have nothing to do with brand, have nothing to do with promoting one's likeness, have everything to do. I mean, Drew Rosenhaus basically came out and said, yeah, this uh, this new NIL thing that we put together for the U players, it's about keeping the best players at Miami and out of the transfer portal. I'm sorry. I didn't think name image likeness was supposed to be about preventing kids from transferring. I thought it was about kids who just wanted to get a pizza on Friday night to be able to make a little scratch. Now we're getting $50,000 because you play at Miami, not because of who you are and your name and your image and your likeness. Being used by a company for whatever purpose. That's where I think it's a slippery slope uh, to that where, again, essentially the NCAA just threw their hands up and said to heck with it. And now, Jeremy, I mean, think about this, Ben. Honest to goodness. Mm -hmm. Essentially what has happened is, was it Jeremy Pruitt 
and Tennessee got in trouble because a recruit got cash in a McDonald's bag. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't even, we just say, hey, we don't need the McDonald's bag. Nope. Uh, and wh- what was that for? Was that because of his name? It was like, no, we want you to play here. The end. You're a good player. No, I, and again, it's kind of superficial, but like, I don't care what your name and your image. I'm not using you to mark anything. I want you to play at Tennessee. Here's a bag of cash and McDonald's bag. Yep. Now we're just giving them the cash yep. and don't need the bag. And, I, and I'm not. And, so it, I, and yep. I, I think that's to me where it gets interesting because we went from college students need to be able to make money yep. to it's just colleges are setting up pseudo non affiliated organizations. And again, you're talking with the guy with the Gator Collective. I'm not saying it's not a good idea. Yeah, I'm just saying that's not what name image likeness oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was intended no, 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 to do. No, no. It's, it's almost like this, Kevin. No, no, no. It's almost like it's almost like okay. Um, we all played board games growing up. N- nobody playing them has ever read the instructions because <laughs> because in our mind we've done it so much. You ever played with a person that they read the instructions and they told you you know you can't do that, right? Yes, I can. You say yes, I can because I've been doing that for, for years. No, no, no. I'm not saying what you've been doing. I'm saying what you've been doing is incorrect. And, Kevin, I think you just said it. It's almost like what people saying, well, people shouldn't be giving these kids money. Listen, let me tell y'all something, man. If it's your money and you went to these schools and somebody say we can get them and you got the money to do it, don't, don't take the no, 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 just scratch that. It's only one, it's only so many, you know, 90-inch plasma screens out there. <laughs> you, in, you in a position to get one, Kevin. Now, what you start saying is they give you the price, you go, okay. And I think Nina go, okay, now, what is it going to take to get it? Like, I know how much it costs. How do I get in the front of the line? This is about being in the front of the line, not just in the line. So, yeah, Kevin, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get crazy because at the end of the day, the great Deion Sanders said, if you didn't want us to start bickering, you shouldn't have gave us different size checks. <laughs> and there's a lot of different size checks going on out there right now. It, it truly is. And, again, I'm, I'm interested to hear your conversation uh, coming up in the final hour uh, with uh, Eddie Rojas of the Gator Collect. Again, because it, I'm not saying a lot for you just happen to be talking to him. There's stuff like this being set up at schools all across America, right? I mean, they, they, Oregon's got one. Phil Knight, obviously involved with that uh, and, and other things. So I'm interested yep. to see, like, how that fits in. And, again, the conversation started off like, man, I, I, I can't go and sign an autograph and just get a 1000 bucks mm-hmm. so I can go out on the weekend with my girlfriend. That turned – I mean, think about this. That turned into – Fifty thousand dollars guaranteed to every offensive lineman at Texas. Yep. That's I mean that's that's where we started, and that's where we are, and it didn't even take a year to get that far. Or or I mean, or Kevin, this this is one thing we leave it out too though. We hear naming even lighters. I'm going to college on a scholarship. I get it. Mm, no no, you have the potential <laughs> to make money off your name in because because once once again everybody some. Some certain certain people, they ain't benefiting from this at all, and they seeing all this stuff going across the bottom of the screen. And guys signing for money at one school in the transfer portal next year. You better read that fine print, young man. <laughs> it may not all be. Okay, I get it. May not be what it's all cracked up to be. Rhett, thank you. You're welcome. For take three. You did an excellent job. You brought insight and questions that neither Ben or I. Thank you would for have been. letting me have me on the show. Hey, you're welcome. You want to send it? You listen to Dad enough. You want to send it to break? You yes. know how to do it. No? Okay. I listen to it all the time, though. He, he does listen to the show all the time. Tell him we'll have him coming up next. Chris Brody coming up next. Locked on SEC Podcast. That's right. He will be joining us next here on 3 and Out. Good job on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here 3 and Out on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And uh, joining us here, so much going on in college football. 
Uh, right now, we had to check in with our next guest, Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Podcast. He joins us here on 3 and Out. Chris, welcome. How are you? Hey, what's going on, fellas? Yeah, never a uh, dull moment. This uh, transfer portal movement seems to be, uh, I mean, there's a big story every day across the SEC of somebody moving on. It's, uh, it's crazy. It really is, and I know that's one of the things uh, we've seen a lot of discussion the last couple of days of is, and it feels like the NCAA has kind of thrown its hands up and kind of shown, I guess, what little power they they even have at this point. They've kind of thrown their hands up on the transfer portal, name, image, likeness, and just kind of taking a step back. Let's start with the transfer portal. I mean, we saw it immediately. National championship game was a week ago Monday night. Tuesday, guys who played in that game were already transferring out and going to other schools. Is there a need for some sort of regulation rather than, I mean, what has become a free-for-all? I know some people say, look, it's their right to move, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, but how do you control it so it's just thousands and thousands of kids swapping places every single year? Yeah, I think Peter Burns from the SEC Network had a pretty good theory. I think he said, you know, you limit it to a certain window, you know, whether that's right when the season ends and then you cut it off sometime in April or, you know, you start it up in April and force these guys to at least go through spring ball with their team and see if, uh, you know, see where they're going to be on the depth chart, get a pretty good idea come March or April. And then, you know, if you want to head somewhere else, that gives you still April, May, June, July, and August to study the new playbook for whatever new school you go to. I, I don't know what the right answer is, but that one sounds like a pretty good one just because man, right now it's a free-for-all. And, you know, Ben will tell you, how many times when he played did guys feel like, oh, man, I'm not number one on the depth chart. This sucks. And, you know, if these rules were active then, you would have had guys jumping ship and jumping around. And, you know, in hindsight, a lot of guys said, man, I made the right decision to stay. I know I've heard Matt Flynn, uh, the LSU quarterback in 07 when they won the national championship. He was a senior that year. And you know, I know he said, man, I'm happy I stuck around. Because when he came in as a freshman at LSU, he was on a depth, depth chart that had Matt Mock and Marcus Randall and Jamarcus Russell and, you know, a bunch of big names ahead of him. And he sat there and waited his turn and finally got his chance to win a national championship. And I just feel like if that were today with these standards, that wouldn't happen. I mean, you're literally seeing Zach Kelzada jumps out of A&M and goes to Auburn. And it's like, man, at least go through spring camp with these guys and see, you know, you may be better. I know they just signed a five-star. You may be better than that five-star him as a freshman. So I don't know. There, there is no right answer, but I think eventually we got to get back to at least some sort of penalty. Um, you know, if, if not a window that allows you to transfer instead of just jumping in the transfer portal whenever you like and uh, going school to school. Chris, that uh, that uh, that extra year of eligibility that a lot of these uh, guys are still like working on. I mean, I know I think we might be still a couple of years out of that uh, kind of like being regulated. How much is that like hindering things as well? The fact that a lot of guys played a year that didn't even count, they get to go come back as you know super seniors and things of that nature. How much outside of just the transfer portal, just that extra year of eligibility? How much is that helping or hurting? I guess recruiting an incoming freshman. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's. Like a lot of schools, like they put put up their big board and they're expecting, oh, okay, well, this guy's going to go and this guy's going to go. And then they find out, oh, no, this guy's going to come back for another year. And it's like it throws off their whole, you know, depth chart of what they're expecting for the next year. Now, from a certain standpoint, it's good. I mean, you want to bring back a fifth-year senior. Like, for instance, Georgia, you know, Robert Beal just announced he's coming back for, for another year. I mean, that's great that you get a guy with that kind of experience that wants to come back. But – yeah, you may have signed a couple outside linebackers in this recruiting class and promised them immediate playing time, and now you're going, well, uh, you know, you're going to be behind this other guy who decided to come back. But 
I'll tell you this, it's confusing as hell when I'm trying to look at guys. I don't know what to refer, refer to guys. Is this guy a junior? Is he a senior? He's a double junior? I don't know what to refer to guys as anymore because it's so confusing what classification they are. But like, I, I, I'll never say it's a bad thing. It's always a good thing for me, for the sport, and for the SEC when you get guys coming back for a fifth year uh, because it means you got some veteran presence there for a team that, you know, let's face it, across the SEC, you need team. These, these teams are looking for senior, le- senior leadership right now. I was going to say, uh, Chris, how much of this transfer portal stuff will work itself out once the cycle of the super whatever, the super seniors, that all everybody that got the extra year because of COVID, obviously rosters are just, you know, filled with guys who got extra year. Maybe obviously coaches weren't planning on them and getting extra years. How much of the transfer portal stuff you think calms down once there's more of a settled four-year cycle roster and not guys – who are just cramming the roster full as like, hey, I'm a second-year freshman still with a redshirt year, and I'm a super senior. All that kind of stuff works itself out. Yeah, it's going to be a couple years before it gets settled out. I mean, obviously the fifth-year seniors or sixth-year seniors, a lot of those guys will be gone after this coming season. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, the guy who is still a freshman, was a a second-year freshman, but still hadn't redshirted. (laughs) There's just so many different classifications that are going to mess everything up for these guys. And, you know, the, the guys who, you know, you have to be three years removed from high school to go to the pros. Well, you're going to have a lot of sophomores that may be going pro next year, uh, you know, that, that technically are, are still sophomores on the books. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's going to take a little bit to, to figure out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it just makes for some really interesting storylines because, like I mentioned, with Bill at Georgia, Miles Brennan at LSU is another one that really intrigues me. I mean, you're talking guys that are – going borderline 22, 23 years old now that have been around for a long time. I mean, Les Miles recruited Miles Brennan at LSU. That was three coaches ago. So it, there's some really interesting storylines I think we're going to see across the, the SEC. But on the, by the same realm, I mean, the transfer portals worked out very well. LSU, who I just mentioned, they were up to, I think, 11 transfers coming in from the transfer portal of guys that are going to be impact starters for them this year. And you talk about Tennessee last year that bring in uh, Joe Milton and Hendon Hooker, and now Hooker's coming back for another year. And man, they're they're looking like they're going to be poised at a, you know, competing for the SEC East next year in Knoxville. So in, in the other realm, the transfer portals really helped a lot of schools across the SEC, and I think uh, you know has built some star power. Will Levis from Penn State coming into Kentucky? He's sticking around another year, and I think it's going to provide a lot of star power for the conference that we really need. When you think about it, when you think about the transfer portal, none bigger than, you know, none, no no bigger name than JT Daniels. I mean, I don't know if it's been confirmed or not or if he's transferred or not, but JT Daniels, Carson Beck, Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett obviously having a national championship attached to his name. What happens in that room if Stetson Bennett decides to come back, JT Daniels decides to not transfer, and Carson Beck said, I want to wait this thing out? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting scenario. I mean, as far as we know, from what we've been told, JT Daniels has entered his name into the transfer portal. But you still look around, that's a very crowded quarterback room. When you talk about Carson Beck, who's been hanging around there waiting for his turn, they bring in Brock Vandergriff as a freshman this past year. You get Gunnar Stockton in this recruiting class. I mean, not all those guys are going to stick around. You're going to have another name or two that, that's going to hit the transfer portal and leave. I, I just think it's going to be a really difficult discussion with Stetson Bennett because Look, you, you, you praise the guy for everything he did this year. Played it's bought off the second half of that national championship game, and he deserves every accolade in the world. But if he comes to Kirby Smart today and says, Coach, I want to come back for another season, Kirby's really got to have a long, hard conversation with him and his staff and say, Guys, 
what's best for Georgia moving forward? Look, we love Stetson. We'll, we'll build a statue of Stetson for what he meant to this program this past year. That said, is he, is he our best option at quarterback next year? Because there's some really highly touted recruits like Vandegrift and, and Gunnar Stockton who I think deserve an opportunity to start as early as possible. So there's going to be some real serious conversations had in that room. You know, I mentioned LSU. I know Brian Kelly, one of the first serious conversations he had with Max Johnson when he got in there was, yeah, um, you're going to have to compete for this job. And to be honest, I don't know if you're going to win this job. So he hit the transfer portal and he ends up at A&M. So, um, yeah, there's going to be some real serious conversations to be had because, man, it, I don't know if you can keep more than two, three really good names in, in your quarterback room anymore because everybody's got one eye on the transfer portal. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC Podcast, joining us here on 3 Now, Chris, I want to get your, your thoughts on another thing that's obviously gotten huge. Uh, maybe even, I don't know, out of control may not be a, a correct word just yet, but uh, name, image, likeness, NIL, it's obviously gotten huge, and uh, Ben and I were talking about this last segment. It's gone from, hey, man, the students should be able to make a little something uh, off of the, the, the millions of dollars that some of these colleges are generating, and, hey, we can't get snacks, we can't take our girlfriend out to the movies, we need to be able to make a little money, to now... Shell companies kind of being set up just to funnel cash to uh, to athletes. I mean, the U uh, announcing that, hey, there's a company that's only been around a week, but they signed like eight name image likeness deals and may not have a product yet, but they're forty, thirty thousand dollars deals to the U players. And Drew Rosenhaus saying, no, that that that's there, so we keep players from going in the transfer portal and and we keep the best players at Miami. That doesn't sound like name image likeness. That sounds like we've just taken the money out of the McDonald's bag and just throwing the McDonald's back to the side, and now we're just giving it to them. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, it loses the spirit of what name, image, and likeness is. You know, the whole root of this, when we talked about it, was, you know, Tim Tebow and Johnny Manziel. Those are the two biggest prime examples I used of superstars in the sport that were stuck in college and couldn't make any money off themselves. I even think back to Tyron Matthew, the honey badger at LSU. I remember they made uh, honey badger T-shirts with the number seven on the back when he was a uh, a junior at LSU, and they got confiscated from the bookstore. They said, you can't sell these. You know, it's made, you know, can't put his number on, on the T-shirts. And it was just absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, that's what I think of with name, image, and likeness, opportunities for those guys to profit off of their name. This thing is not like Texas is set up, where each offensive lineman that comes in gets $30,000 a year. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're just going to get that because you play offensive line at Texas. That's not what this thing was supposed to be. Um, you know, I think if there was a guy in Baton Rouge that, uh, by the name of Gordon McKernan, he's a local attorney. He set up a deal where with uh, Kayshawn Boutte, the star wide receiver at LSU, he was thinking about entering the portal. Gordon stepped in and said, hey, I want to use you in some commercials. Let me sign you to a deal. That's what the NIL deal is intended for, for, for a guy like Kayshawn Boutte to be a star at the local level in Louisiana, be in commercials for this attorney, and and make money off of it. That's the, that's what it's intended to be. Not Texas A&M boosters stepping in and saying, "Hey, let's go get as many five stars as we can, and we'll pay them a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is." Again, I don't hate on the kids for getting the money. Go get your bag. But at the end of the day, that's not what the NIL was intended to be. And what this is turning into is it's just turning into big money boosters with the backdoor a hundred dollar handshakes. Now it's just out in the open. They can just pay the guy for whatever, but. I look at it as, man, you got to get some kind of return on the investment. If you run a law office, put the guy in commercials. Have him promote your law office on social media. That's what name, image, and likeness is. Not just, hey, come play at our school, here's money, and that's it.
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Chris, when I think about the fact that when you when you talk about being able to, you know, you take a brand that's small and you put it with a brand that's already established. And I think what happens is the the, the mere fact that most of these young men, if they don't already know, they're not going pro. This is about having a career after your collegiate career is over. And I do and I do agree these boosters, I mean, they saying, look, man, what's a hundred thousand dollars to a billionaire that that, that that you know that has oil rigs? I, I get that portion, but at what point does the education of the NIL fall upon these schools when they don't got to give any money? At least make sure these young men understanding that if I made a hundred grand but my bank account says zero, did I make anything at all? Yeah, and the Texas A&M one is going to be a really interesting, um, you know, kind of mark of, of how this is going to go. Because somebody brought up to me, said, man, you, you know these five stars. You see them at the IMG Academy where they all get together or some of these showcases where, you know, some of them are divas. Some of them have the, the egos and all that sort of thing. And so if you're bringing in a bunch of 18-year-old four- and five-stars with egos, and then you're going, hey, here's a check for $50,000 or whatever – you know, does that kid still have the motivation to put forth the full work ethic, or does he feel like, man, I've arrived? On top of it, you start to get some bad blood between guys behind closed doors. Hey, this jerk just came in. He's making money. I've been here two years working my butt off, and I'm not making anything. I think how Jimbo Fisher and his staff manage this is going to be a real barometer for how the NIL deals uh, happen moving forward, especially at the big schools where the bigger money is being handed to a lot of the big-name recruits because – Man, jealousy is going to be a part of this. You can see guys going, hey, I ain't getting nothing. You know, I was told yesterday that um, Eli Ricks, the whole reason he left LSU and he's at Alabama now is because Derek Stingley Jr. got multiple NIL deals at LSU. Eli Ricks didn't get any. So right there he said, I'm jealous, I'm out. And he ran off to Alabama. Now he's going to start in the Alabama secondary. So, yeah, this is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. But, again, man, the A&M – locker room they're gonna have to do such a good job trying to keep all those egos in check and giving the kids playing time that deserve it and what happens if i'm five star and i came in and i'm not playing immediately but i'm making my money you know how does that affect things it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how it plays out it certainly will chris gordy locked on sec podcast our guest here on three now chris appreciate the time thanks so much Thanks, guys. LockedOnSEC.com and check out the podcast. Appreciate it. Chris Gordy joining us. We'll come back with more. Orson Charles set to join us next here on 3 and Out. Welcome back. 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you are with us here on the show. Georgia, again, as we talked earlier in the show, Brooks Austin, the party continues there celebrating that national championship. Our next guest, former Georgia tight end, fourth-round pick in 2012 by the Cincinnati Bengals. Orson Charles joins us here on 3 and Out. Orson, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well at yourself, and hey, thank you for having me. Hey, we're doing fantastic. Uh, first of all, Georgia uh, winning the national championship a week ago uh, from Monday. Man, as a former player, how much do you feel, how much that me- that means to the program, to the former players, to the, the, the fans, uh, to finally not have to uh, talk too much about 1980 anymore? <laughs> you're, complete, you're definitely completely right. When I saw that and they won, I was my heart dropped. I was so happy for them because – we needed this. This was something that we needed. Now we can be talked about as one of those prestige colleges. Obviously, we have to continue to win more, but this was a stepping stone in the right direction. And then to finally beat Bama. <laughs> like, beating Bama is like beating Florida to me. Like, I always wanted to beat them. And I know a couple of years ago, you know, we lost twice to them, and then we lost to them earlier this year. So to finally get over that hump, um, I'm very excited and happy for my boys. 
Javar Johnson, Randy McMichael, Arthur Lynch, I mean Montrez Milner, yourself, Brock Bowers. True freshman. I mean, he was everything for that offense this year. He was a Mitch match nightmare. I mean, he got speed like a receiver, skills like, you know, I mean, a, a super a great athlete. Orson, when you saw this guy going out there doing what he's doing and knowing that he's a true freshman doing it, had to make you feel good. Yeah, 1,000%. And I, hey, hats off to him as a student because to see how much they use him. And I, 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 know, I know Ty because Ty was with me at Cleveland, and he, he definitely wanted to utilize us. But for him to come in as a true freshman and to just soak in all the different positions they have him playing, you know, hats off to him. Like, he's going to be a wonderful player. He is a great player already, and I just can't. I can't wait to see him continue to keep growing. You mentioned Todd Munkin there in that offense. Obviously, he did a uh, tremendous job uh, there with that Georgia offense. But putting your faith in the passing game in a freshman tight end. Again, normally you would say, hey, I put my faith in the quarterback, maybe a running back that we feel can carry the football, maybe one of those wide receivers outside. But a freshman tight end in key situations, not just in the national championship game, but others, that's the go-to guy uh, for Georgia as a true freshman. How much confidence does does Todd having those guys obviously a tight end to go out and make plays for? Him? I mean, to be honest, let's we could be honest. The tight end is supposed to run the offense. Like <laughs> supposed to go through us. We can block, we can catch, we can do everything. But and all seriously, Todd has to have tremendous respect for him to trust him so many times after so many opportunities in a game. And I'm I'm happy for him. Like I, I can't say enough. You know, he he's shown that he can take it on and and I'm sure, because I know Todd, I'm sure that he's shown that he can take on the bulk of the playbook in practice. And that's the only way that you're going to get, you know, Todd's trust. So I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm happy for him. And like I said earlier, I can't wait to see him, you know, grow into an even better player. Orson, there are stories in college football, and then there is the story, Stetson Bennett, a guy that, you know, uh, a southern, uh, you know, southeast Georgia kid, Grew up wanting to be a Georgia Bulldog. Obviously, didn't meet the height requirement or what that, whatever it is when you talk about looking the part. The last two years for him and how he's grown, and then to end it against Bama, four four for four, eighty yards, two touchdowns to seal that win. You know, take nothing away from the uh, from the pick six. Talk about Stetson Bennett. Talk about you know how much he's grown and when that when that Hollywood script is give you know is put out for Stetson Bennett, it's gonna be hard for people to believe. No, this is not based on a true story. This is a true story. Yeah, and I and, and I hated I hated that recruiting process. Aaron and I hated it because they judge us based off of our height and our weight. But you can't judge somebody's heart. You can't judge that bulldog in somebody that wants to go out there and go get it every day. And he's proven that. So I'm, I'm hoping that the recruiters see Bennett and see, okay, well, we can't just want that six five tight end or that six four quarterback. There's other guys that probably don't match up to that height requirement, that's ballers. They just need a chance. And I'm happy he had that chance, and he executed it. And, and again, Orson, I know uh, we, we hear stories like this all the time in, in, in football of guys who don't meet the prototype yet can go out there and make plays. In this era of alleged you know, thinking outside the box that, uh, that everybody likes to do, why don't we see coaches trying to find guys that are good playmakers? The tape's there. They just aren't the prototype size. Repeat that question again. You I was, say why I, don't they? Yeah, I was gonna say why don't they? When everybody we see, because everybody's doing it. it's a copycat. It's a copycat league. Just like in the league, everybody when Travis Kelsey and Gronk was killing it, 
okay, well, we need a six five, six seven tight end. Um, just like the quarterback. I mean, it, it, it's in everything. I think it's a copycat lead, and I, I can appreciate my boards for, you know, saying, you know what, we don't care about his height. We don't care that he was a walk-on. We're going to give him a chance. Now, based off of that chance and we give him, let's see what he do. Let, let's see what he do with it. All right, Orson, man, it's, it's, it's Monday night. It's, 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 it's your dogs. It's, it's Alabama. I mean, you know, you hear, all, you, you know, it's almost like you can't even block out the noise because it's coming from everywhere, even your family members. That clock goes zero, 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 and you see that red and black confetti and that white confetti coming down. I mean, what what is that feeling for you? Because obviously, you know, you have to take the good and the bad as it, as it pertains to being a Georgia Bulldog, whether you had when only when all you could do is control what you could do when you was there. But what does that feel like knowing that now, man? For, you know, the forty the forty year old monkey is off our back, but Kirby did what he set out to do, and it only took him six years to do it. That confetti drop, that scoreboard, we was up. Everything else don't even matter. <laughs> <laughs> like, we did what we were supposed to. We finally did it. Yes, it took him six years. Look, like, everybody can get off Kirby's back. Everybody can get off our back. And then now we can just go ahead and keep winning them. So the moment that confetti dropped, I'm like, yes. And it was all worth it, and nothing else matters. Just us. Orson, yourself, and I know we talked about this. I know we talked about Brock. I, you know, I played in the era of you know, uh, you know, Randy McMichael, Javaris Johnson, uh, Ben Watson. Obviously, I remember you when you was there. I know, I know about the Titans from Georgia, like I know about the Titans from Florida. When y'all, when y'all, if 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 y'all finally able to get in that room, and obviously y'all gonna be talking to Brock, but what would that conversation be like? Because I'm always curious as you know, when it comes to this game, we don't get a chance to be around each other, man. Real life takes over, but if Orson is in there with Randy McMichael, man, what would that conversation be like? Especially since you know they respect the whole program now that Kirby got y'all back to that promised land. What would it be like? I I, I don't know if we will be talking about football. Uh, I, I think that they do a great job. I mean, I, I would answer any football questions, but I would like to just be in a moment. Hey, how are you? You know, good job. I'm proud of you. You know, what do you like doing for fun? Let's go do that. Because I think once you get into that building, it's just football, football, football. But, you know, me coming out of ball, I, I care more about the person. I care more about you. You're a freshman. You did all that. <laughs> like, are you okay? Like, how do you decompose during the week? That that's my main concern, and and I think it was the same thing when I got out of the when I came out of Georgia and I sat down with Ben Watson and Randy. Like we we went to some restaurant and we just sat and talked. Like I just asked them a whole bunch of questions about life, and I don't I really don't even know if we really talked about ball. Orson Charles, our guest here on Three and Out. Orson, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. Y'all have a great one. Hey, we'll do. Orson Charles joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here. Busy final hour around the corner. We'll hear from John Shipley, the Jaguar Report, and uh, he will give us the very latest where the Jags at in their head coaching search. What are they looking to do at uh, number one overall there in the draft? And Ben will sit down with Eddie Rojas for this week's edition of Troop Talk. Eddie Rojas of the Gator Collective, an uh, organization put together specifically for name, image, likeness. Uh, there with the University of Florida. So, again, just one of many that are popping up all over the country uh, involving these universities uh, across the college landscape. So, busy final hour upcoming, Ben. Yes, I mean, Kevin, I mean, we always try to better understand this name and image likeness. I mean, I'm looking forward to the conversation with Eddie. I think when you talk about something that's new as name and image likeness, people, 
I go back to the board games. We've been playing board games our whole life. We ain't never read the instructions. I just think that we want to make sure we understand this thing because, Kevin, as crazy as it is now, could you imagine what this thing is going to be not 10 years from now, two, three years from now, when we have a little bit better understanding of it? Absolutely. We've got so much to get to coming up in the final hour. We'll look at Mel Kuyper's mock draft again. Is What does he have the, the Falcons and what does he have the Jags doing there, number one? John Shipley uh, joining us and Eddie, o- Eddie Rojas in the final hour of the show here. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Final hour of 3 and Out. We've got John Shipley of the Jaguar Report joining us uh, coming up. In about 15 minutes, also, Ben sits down with Eddie Rojas of the Gator Collective for this week's edition of Troop Talk. So looking forward to that as well. But it's mock draft season, Ben, and uh, Mel Kuyper's mock draft 1.0 is out. So just take that for what it is. 1.0 Mel Kuyper Jr. mock draft. Got the Jags taking Aiden Hutchinson, Uh. number one out of uh, Michigan, which uh, I know BJ is not. If he was here on the show, he'd say, look, I don't like that pick. But I will say it's mock draft 1.0. That's probably not going to be the pick uh, at number one. It'll probably be somebody else. But Aiden Hutchinson, at least uh, early on, Mel Kuyper's number one overall pick there to the Jags. I, what I what I don't like, I mean, I'm happy for Aiden Hutchinson. He ain't done nothing but went out there and, uh, you know, put it on tape. What, 6'5", 6'6", 265, can definitely turn the corner. I mean, when you look at it, when you look at uh, pass rushes, Kevin, they are at a premium. When you think about what what uh, what the Bolster brothers can do uh, to a team, what the Watt brothers uh, can do to a, to a game plan. When you talk about guys like, you know, uh, Miles Garrett, what those guys, you know, can do on the outside as far as, like, wrecking game plans. I like Aiden Hutchinson. He definitely has the size, definitely has the bill, definitely has, uh, you know, uh, the measurables being a Heisman Trophy finalist. But when I saw him in, when I saw him against Georgia, I didn't hear much from him at all. And that was supposed to be the key of the game, being able to get being able to get to the quarterback and uh, force Tessa Bennett to be uncomfortable. Tessa Bennett sat in that pocket and did what he wanted to do. But Aiden Hutchinson is benefiting from how he played, where he played, and, and the position that he plays. When you think about the defensive end position, Kevin, I mean, you want to be able to get one, but he's getting the best tackles in the world now. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, I'm not saying the Warren McClendon, those guys ain't going to become big time, long NFL careers, all American, uh, all conference type players. But you didn't hear anything of Aiden Hutchinson. But the one thing Aiden Hutchinson has on his side is the hype train. Mel Copper Jr., uh, you know, Ty Mashey. Uh, all the NFL Live, uh, you're going to have everybody that's going to break down. And, 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 Kevin, like you said, I remember coming out way back in 2004, watching them mock drafts. Well, that was that was more what was in the magazines. You know, we, we picking up the magazines, you know, uh, and, and you're looking at yourself. You're not going past this, not going past that. There, to, to be the number one overall pick, that means you got – that means out of everybody in this draft, you are the best one. I, I – <laughs> Aiden, now look, you're a good player, but the best player in this draft. Now, I'm not saying this draft is loaded like drafts we've seen in the past, but Kevin, we're always talking about reaching the Jaguars. The Jaguars in the last five years have gotten, this will, this will be their fourth, uh, if they get Aiden Hutchinson, this will be their fourth defensive lineman they've taken in the draft, they had Josh Allen. He's going into his fifth year. You got Clavon Chase on going into his third year. You're talking about Tavon Brown. I think it's going to his fourth or fifth year. And now, if you get Aiden Hutchinson, I I just don't see him helping because while he has talent, 
you know, it was more about, you know, him being a, a more supreme talent where he was and going up against, like, not as athletic tackles in the conference that he played in because you went to the big, bad SEC, and it got ugly. And, you know, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, I think, is the number two. I think uh, they got him, like, the number two prospect coming out. Both of those guys played in the Army All-American game three years ago, and both of those guys were going up against, like, Evan Neals and those guys in it, and it was the same result. And they was in high school then. Three years later – or three and a half, four years later, those guys are still getting that out of Kevin. He's probably gonna go. He's gonna go top five. But like you said, the fact that he's number one now, everybody's gonna be turning on the tape, and they're gonna listen. College football playoff semifinal. I is think all that you tape need to got turn lost. <laughs> that tape got lost. Coach Harbaugh, you know what I'm saying? Listen, I'll sound. We come back tomorrow. Yeah, we had a problem there. Is that we Coach, got, Coach, we got is that the- Georgia? Oh, they're at Ohio State. No, no, that's that's the team of red. No, they got, but they got silver helmets. Give me the team that got the G on the side. I, w- I want to see what happened when you went up against them. Yeah, we're, uh, we had we got hacked. Uh, we we lost that game footage uh, there at the Orange Bowl. No, I, look, I think that's an interesting, uh, an interesting thought. I think the Jags have other issues that they can address. Certainly, I, I to me, and I agree with BJ on that. Is if I'm Jacksonville, I mean, you can mock draft whatever you want. Your number one priority is to make sure that Trevor Lawrence doesn't get Joe Burrowed. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, and by that, I mean year one Joe Burrow. Yep. You're, you're running around hoping to, to, to God nobody hits you again, uh, and you try to protect him and keep him standing upright and not injured and out. Uh, and as you said, look at the difference. Joe Burrow, year one, running for his life, gets injured. Joe Burrow, year two, they say, hey, maybe we should give our number one draft pick, I don't know, some guys that could keep guys off of him. Just and when it. they did that, Look at the team. Obviously, mm-hmm. he has great players around him. They mm-hmm. went out and got Jamar Chase. Mm-hmm. But you addressed the guy standing directly in front of him, and he took off in a, uh, in a big, big way. I think if you're Jackson, do the same thing. Falcons, in- interesting spot. And I heard Mel uh, talk about this, Ben, uh, on a, uh, another show. He said, look, I'm kind of you know up in the air uh, with Atlanta, what they could do. But he said, I had a name in. I scratched it off. I put another name in. I scratched it off. Ended up uh, mocking Derek Stingley Jr. to the Falcons. I know we had some comments earlier in the show. He said, look. A.J. Terrell, Derek Stingley Jr., you could do a lot worse as your DBs uh, locking down on the outside than those two guys. I agree. Is that, though, uh, what Arthur Smith and company is looking at when you have an aging quarterback who was hit more than any other quarterback in the league in 2021? Yeah, Kevin, I, th- I think when you think about a Falcons team, I mean, the one thing you do have that's the, you know, that's, uh, the highest level of stability is Matty Ice, right? Now, you want to be able to protect him. You know, Matty Ice is not getting younger. And if you and, you know if you talk about quarterback years, I mean he's he's fifty sixty. When you talk about how much how many hits he's taken, but you want to be able to say what 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 is giving us the best return of our on our investment? And that's been the cornerback position. Derek Stingley Jr. We've been talking about him being a potential top five uh, pick since he came out. You know three years ago in that twenty nineteen uh, LSU team that won the national championship, obviously went undefeated. I think Kevin sometimes when you think about the, when you think about Atlanta, it's so many needs. Need a, need a receiver. Need a running back. Need a D lineman. Need an O lineman. Probably could use another safety. So let's give us a young cornerback. Maybe we address the safety position in the, you know, uh, you know, in free agency. Maybe we can address those other things in the draft. But if I'm getting him that high, he needs to come in and play right now. I think Derek Singley Jr. is a guy that's ready to come in and play right now. He, you know, he comes from that pedigree of DBs. Uh, at LSU, I think he's primed and ready to be a big time, and he can learn from a young guy. You know, AJ, him and AJ Terrell, they they ain't that different. They ain't that different in age, 
Both of those guys are coming from big-time programs. Both of those guys are coming from uh, national championship programs. And you want to be able to have a guy that's, that plays your position that's similar in age and, you know, uh, in resume. So, yeah, Derek Steen, I think, would be a home run. Because, Kevin, you know, if it's a quarterback, you're reaching. If it's an old lineman, you know, you're just playing and plugging him. If it's a D lineman, good God, make pray for him. Because what, what is he going to do on a D line? Because think about it, Kevin. If he goes first round, they're, they're going to be expecting that D lineman to be the bell cow as far as like going ahead and get to the quarterback. Well, you can't do that now. You ain't getting to the quarterback consistently now. So I'd rather go cornerback, you know, uh, and try to, you know, and try to address other needs. Because uh, I think we got two uh, second round picks. So maybe Atlanta can, can address uh, two positions of need in the second round. Yeah, going to be interesting to watch there. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the show, Calvin Ridley. That's another factor, right? It's not like you lost him to free agency. You just lost him uh, for mental health issues. And again, I think everybody has long said if that's what needs to be handled, go handle that. Go take care of. Uh, what uh, Beastmo said: Take care of your mentals and your chicken. Talk about and so it. That's what that's what he's trying to do. And so, look, I think as a Falcon, say, "Hey, we're here to support you for that." But at last check, he had missed over half the season. And they asked Arthur Smith the last week of the season, "What's an update?" And he said, "Quote: Nothing has changed. I don't have. That's all I know. Nothing has changed." So, if you're the Falcons, do you operate as if he's not ever coming back? Do you go out and use high draft capital on a wide receiver to get more weapons? How would you approach that, Ben, knowing that, look, there's a guy dealing with a serious issue, and mm-hmm. you you can appreciate that and be there, respect that, and say, hey, we're here for you. But at the same time, say, look, I got a football team to put together, and if you're not going to be there, I kind of need to know that and move on and try to find somebody else to fill those, obviously, uh, big shoes because part of moving Julio Jones out was, hey, you had Calvin Ridley, mm-hmm. and we we lost a number one receiver, but we got a guy who's ready to be a number one receiver. And obviously, uh, for a very important reason, that didn't work out. Well, I mean, Kevin, they respect Calvin Ridley's decision, but they can't trust him at this point because if if he does come back in 2022, who's to say that he doesn't want to leave again? Look, you got to respect what he does, but you got to operate this thing as what it is. It's a business. You got to go out there and get somebody in free agency or definitely address it in the draft. I mean, when you talk about the receiver position, you're going to have a lot of guys to choose from. Ohio State going to have some big-time players. Uh, you know, with Chris Olave and those guys coming out. You talk about Arkansas. You're going to have you're gonna have receivers. It's, the, the receivers is never, ever going to be a, a, a position that's not not going to be deep in any draft, but I do think that Kevin, you got to move on from Ridley because he's he's on the he's on the he's you know he's on the uh, non-activity list and he's not injured. I don't I don't know I don't even know how that works as far as like him getting paid. But if he's getting paid, I mean with no production and he's not hurt, out the blank is like, look, man. And if you if you if you talk about a deeper issue, any other player they got to address. It. Listen, fellas, we are we listen. We are here for y'all mental health, but we got to run an organization. Like we 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 have to, and I am not downgrading or being dismissive or of your situation, but where does that leave us? This ain't like college, man. The way I got thirty other receivers that can play and plug. A number one receiver in the NFL is just like a number. It's just like a, a franchise quarterback. It's only thirty two of them, right? And you one of them. Now it's thirty one of them. So, yes, Kevin, you got to address in the offseason. Yes, you respect Ridley. But when he gets back in the facility, he'll be like, no, no, I need I need to talk to you. When they listen, they asking off the blank. That's the owner. They ain't even asking the coach. Because I think it's out of both of their hands. You know, even Terry Fontenot, he, he's in a yeah. he's in a compromising situation because like I, I ain't never dealt with nothing like this. So, yes, Kevin, you got to move on for Ridley, which means you're gonna have which they was they was prepared to give Ridley a big time contract extension. Do you use that on another uh, free agent receiver that's coming up on another big deal, or do you address in the draft as well to try to get a veteran? Yeah, going to be an interesting decision there for Atlanta. We've got more to come. We'll talk Jags 
When we come back, John Shipley of the Jaguar Report will join us. Obviously, the Jags need players, but and they also need a head coach. He'll join us next. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out. On this Wednesday, Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. As, again, for all but just a handful of teams left in the NFL, it is full page towards uh, the draft and the offseason here as it moves forward. The Jags own the number one pick in said draft. And uh, joining us here from the Jaguar Report, John Shipley joins us here on 3 and Out. John, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, guys. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing fantastic. Before we get to you know what the Jags need to address uh, on the field in terms of uh, player personnel, what's the latest with the head coaching situation? And uh, obviously there's probably some guys still coaching they'd love to uh, to talk to, but where are the Jags in terms of finding a guy to uh, to fill that Urban Meyer void and, and take over this franchise? Yeah, no, this, this is a team that's definitely moving into, you know, the next step in their you know, really the phase of the coaching search. They've done all the preliminary interviews. They've talked to the nine candidates they, you know, want to talk to, which, you know, it's a list that it's, it's a bit similar to some of the other teams, but they also have some guys on there that, you know, other teams haven't talked to, you know, guys like Daryl Bevel, guys uh, like Bill O'Brien, but they also have some of the popular names, you know, Matt Eberflus, uh, Doug Peterson, Jim Caldwell, Nate Hackett, and Byron Leftwood. So I, I think the direction this is heading is, we still have, I would say, probably another week to 10 days to go before we see anything really official or some major traction. But I think the list has been kind of weeded out to this point. I, I, I think you can presume guys like Bill O'Brien and Daryl Bevel are not going to get second interviews at this point. And I believe uh, it's been reported so far, one guy who has gotten a second interview is Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, who's supposed to have his second one tomorrow. But then you look at some of their other guys who they were they are w- reportedly very high on guys like Leftwich and Hackett, and those are guys that are still in the playoffs. So you can't exactly have that second interview yet. So I, I think as you see teams like Tampa Bay, like Green Bay, you know, potentially drop off in the next week or two, I think that's when you'll see more kind of momentum on this job. John, when you think about a guy like you know Byron Leftwich and obviously his rise uh, through the through the coaching ranks and now being the offensive coordinator. You know, uh, you know, in Tampa, how much is you know what he brings to the table a little bit different? Because you know these these uh these head coaches now they got to be able to resonate with these quarterbacks. It's not it's not it's not one of those times where you got a guy that got experience but can't resonate with today's uh you know NFL quarterbacks or NFL players. How much does Byron Leftwich ability to one have played the position coaching you know uh you know coaching a guy like Tom Brady and bringing the type of experience should kind of give him kind of like uh you know uh be the leader of the pack right now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely a great point. And to me, it, it, being a head coach, it's just as important uh, your ability to, to communicate and build relationships as it is, you know, to call plays and bring things from an X and O perspective. And to me, I'm not sure there are many candidates who are much better at that than Byron Lefford. You know, he's just he, he's been known, you know, dating back to even his playing career and now up to his time as a coach. You know, he's an excellent communicator. He can relate to players, which is something that Jaguars last staff you know, specifically Urban Meyer, simply could not do. You know, Urban Meyer did not know uh, how to talk to NFL players. He didn't know how to relate to them. He didn't know how they think. Byron Leftwich knows exactly how they think because, you know, he's been in the NFL for, you know, almost 20 years now. He's getting back to when he was drafted in 2003. I've those few years that he's been outside of it following his playing career. So I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I think the biggest allure with Leftwich is the fact that he's able to relate to players so well and that we've seen him, you know, 
construct his offense around several different quarterbacks. You know, he, he's the guy. He's helped Jameis Winston and Tom Brady both find production and in vastly, vastly different offenses. So I think it's clear that he's the guy who will mold his offense around his quarterback, and that's what you want to see. John Shipley, Jaguar Report. Uh, joining us here on three and out. So obviously, I would imagine uh, without a head coach, it kind of leaves all these mock drafts. Uh, kind of as, a, I guess, cute side stories for, for Jacksonville with the number one overall pick. But, uh, John, is that really a free-for-all for Jacksonville given how many different positions they could actually use a quality, quality player at? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, in an ideal world, especially in a class like this one where, you know, the Jaguars took their quarterback last year, in an ideal world, essentially move back from that pick, you know, and get even more picks. They already have 12 picks, I believe, but almost half of those are in the sixth and seventh round. So the, the ideal scenario would be to, you know, move back and fill more holes. It's just my, my question is, you know, it takes two to tango. I'm not sure which teams are moving up to number one overall in this draft. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if there's a player who is moving the needle enough for, say, for the Panthers to want to move up to number one from number six. Like, I'm not sure if Kenny Pickett, Sam – uh, or Matt Corral, Sam Howell. I'm not sure if any of those guys are really doing that. So I think it would be ideal for the Jaguars to, you know, be able to have that kind of free-for-all and to have more options. But at this point, I would expect them to uh, end up picking at number one. When you think about what happened to Joe Burrow two years ago and uh, you, you see what happened this year by keeping him up right now, Trevor Lawrence, I mean, he he, he proved that uh, obviously, you know, he uh, he's very, very tough. I mean, I know he had that ankle injury and uh, asked to come back into the game. Evan Neal, I mean, it's it's not ideal, but you want to be able to get a left tackle because you got Jawan Taylor, who's your bookend right tackle for the next at least a couple of years left on that rookie deal. I know you're saying there isn't no surefire number one, but left tackles are just like pass rushes. They are at a premium. Why not go with an Evan Neal who could potentially be your, net, your, your, uh, your tackle for the next 10 years? No, I, I think Evan Neal makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I actually, I think if they take Evan Neal, they could actually get creative with how they use him in terms of, you know, you take an offensive tackle, number one, and everybody's expecting him to be, you know, left tackle right away, blindside protector. I actually think if the Jaguars take Evan Neal, their best bet would be to play him at right tackle. Uh, Jawan Taylor, you know, is entering the last year of his rookie deal next season. He's had, you know, really two back-to-back down seasons. You know, after a strong rookie year, he just, you know, he hasn't really developed. Just, but on the other hand, at left tackle, they have a young tackle who, you know, is a terrific, uh, you know, steps in the right direction and Chase last year, and Walker Little, you know, number uh, number 45 overall pick last year, former number one overall offensive tackle group. This guy would have been a top 10 pick if it wasn't for, you know, a season-ending injury in 2019 and then COVID taking place in 2020, which led to him opting out. I, I truly believe we would have seen him as a top 10 pick. Instead, he fell to the second round, started uh, three games for Jacksonville last year, and looked uh, like one of the best rookie offensive linemen in the NFL when he did that. So I actually think the best bet, if they were to take Neil, would be play him at right tackle where he played last week, play Walker Little at left tackle, and then just trust that you have those two bookends to really, you know, who are alien-level athletes to really support Trevor Lawrence over the, you know, the next five, ten years of his career. John, where's the talent level with this team? Because I know under previous regimes you could say, well, the, the, the team's not very talented. Uh, the stories that were coming out during the year last year, you know, hey, James Robinson's going to go in. No, no, you're not. Urban Meyer say, no, you're not. You're not going to go back in. How, how, is this team talented enough to improve greatly, and were they just misused? But where, where do you think the talent level uh, on this team is right now? I I think they were maybe a little bit more talented than a team that went three and fourteen and 
really didn't look competitive most weeks. But I, I also think, especially on the opposite side of the ball, this is a team that it just so badly needs an injection of playmakers. I think, you know, by midseason, the Jaguars off the one the least dynamic, least explosive, you know, and just simply slowest offenses in the NFL because, you know, due to the roster move they made in addition to an injury at DJ Chark, they had Laquan Treadwell, they had Tavon Austin, they had Jadon Mickens, they had all these guys playing legitimate heavy doses of snaps, and that's just not something you can do, you know, really for a winning team in 2021. So I think on offense especially, I would say they, they simply are not talented enough right now. They need to get better at receiver. They need to get better at tight end. Uh, they have to replace several offensive linemen whose contracts are expired. And then running back has suddenly become a question mark because, you know, Jim Robinson suffered a torn Achilles in week 16. You have Travis Etienne with the lens strength injury uh, before he, his first official game. So I, I think you have more questions than answers, especially on offense than on defense. To me, the question is where are the blue chip talents that you're going to build around? I, I think Josh Allen could be one. I'm not sure he's one yet, but I think he could be. I think Tyson Campbell could end up being one. He, he had a really, really impressive second half of his rookie year, but didn't he have players like Shaquille Griffin, players like Miles Jack, players like Rayshon Jenkins, who are, you know, NFL starters, but I'm not sure these guys that you really build a defense around. I mean, John, with all that being said, I mean, do you think they still go offense? You talk about these you talk about these receivers with, you know, Tavon Austin, Laquan Treadwell, guys that was like journeymen who were supposed to have big-time careers obviously end up become journeymen, uh, you know, in the league. You're talking about Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chanel, DJ Chark. Do they go out and get a couple of guys in the draft and also try to address it in the – I mean, also try to address it uh, in free agency? Or do they just say, look, man, we got to be able to kind of give Trevor – because Trevor Lawrence has proven – I'm 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 an, I'm, a, I'm an okay quarterback with some with subpar talent. You give me some elite talent with hopefully a healthy Travis Etienne, maybe an offensive lineman. Outside of just you know, I don't know if they're ready to compete with Tennessee yet, but they could be competing for second uh, in that uh, AFC South. I, I really think this is a job that whatever head coach takes it has to you know potentially think you know maybe a Zach Taylor like trajectory. You know where you know the Bengals for a year or two they look like you know. They maybe didn't get it right with Zach Taylor. You know, they were losing games at such a high rate. And then year three, okay, his vision's finally come along, you know, as they put pieces together. I think, you know, I, I really do think they got quarterback right. I think Lawrence's rookie season was much better than the numbers indicate. And the numbers are abysmal, you know, there's no denying that. But I think it requires a lot of context. But I just think, you know, from offensive playmakers to defense to really instilling a culture that Urban and I are pretty year behind, I still think this is a franchise that's a couple years away from making noise. John Shipley, Jaguar Report, our guest here on 3 and Out. John, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you guys. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Will do. John Shipley joining us here as the Jags, the owners of the number one pick, still need a head coach, uh, Ben. And as he said, maybe a week to ten days out from getting any kind of traction on that is, uh, would appear, obviously, some of their more valued candidates still currently coaching. In the, in the NFL playoffs. I, I hope that's the only reason why they haven't got it yet. I do hope that Byron Leftwich is the front runner. If he can't get a Jim Caldwell, either want to get a young guy that's up and coming like Byron Leftwich, who played the position, obviously, understands because he played, got to, got, got to coach guys like Tom Brady. But if you can't get a, a young guy, get a veteran guy like Jim Caldwell. Why Jim Caldwell wanted two plays? He won, he won with the Colts. Where is he to win? In Detroit. He was he. I mean, he won in Detroit, and I think that's something to say when you talk about a franchise that had been, and you know, they. I don't think they've ever come out of dark ages, and they've had Barry <laughs> Sanders, they've had Megatron, but I do think Kevin the quarter. I mean, the uh, the quarterback head coach relationship is going to be important. But just like Atlanta, you got so many holes to fill. Where do you where do you start first? I do think you start with O line. 
And then you go with some wide receivers, you know, uh, later on in the draft. But they say they got all these picks, and most of them in the fifth or sixth round. I don't know. I don't know how better you can make your team uh, picking guys that low in the draft. Yeah, going to be interesting. Watch there in Jacksonville to see how that all kind of turns out. We got more to come here on Three and Out. We'll step aside, and Ben sits down for this week's edition of Troop Talk with Eddie Rojas. He founded. He was the CEO of the Gator Collective, and uh, one of many. I think you're going to hear more about organizations just like this all around. College Athletics, Ben and uh, Eddie Rojas sit down next here on 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Troop this time. Welcome back to 3 and Out. I am Ben Troop. This is Troop Talk. Every week I sit down with one of the, one of the latest and greatest among us. And with everything going on in college football, college athletics, the new wave is NIL. That's the name and image like for you, for those of you who don't know. And uh, my next guest is, to me, he's leading, he's leading the charge. Uh, former uh, Gator Baseball pitcher extraordinaire, now CEO of the Gators Collective, the great Eddie Rojas. What's going on today, Eddie? Hey, Ben. Thank you so much for having me on. Eddie, now, you know, uh, one thing we try to do on this show, we try to be able to break down what's actually going on, but we try to speak to the experts. I know about SEC, ACC, SOCON, and Sunbelt football. When somebody asked me about the NIL, I said, listen, man, I'm a, I'm partnering with the Gators Collective. I wanted to get the man, uh, you know, uh, you know, the man behind this entire uh, NIL thing with Gators Collective. First, tell me what NIL is for, for people who are kind of like misconstruing what it is and why the Gators Collective. Yeah, so uh, NIL stands for Name, Image, and Likeness Law, and uh, it's a law that recently passed. Um, you know, the, one of the great lawyers and Gator grads, Darren Heitner, helped, helped produce this law in Florida, and other states have, 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 um, have uh, followed suit and made it legal for players to earn an income off their name, image, and likeness. Now, I use the word earn because unlike the old days where – Paying a player, uh, you know, was wrong and you couldn't do it under any circumstance. What name, image, and likeness has allowed players to have now is the ability to work just like you and I do and earn based on their name, image, and likeness. So if I'm a, uh, a famous a basketball player in college or a gymnastics, I'm in gymnastics or a football player, and somebody wants to hire me to represent their pizzeria and they want me to do an ad, I can be on that commercial, and I can be compensated no different than any other talent or person that's working. And so uh, this is an exciting time in college sports because um, as a former Gator baseball player myself, um, and, you know, I remember the days where I had to live off of what I was, what I was provided as a baseball player. And it, using my sport as a baseball player in particular, I, wasn't, I was not a full scholarship athlete. So I had to find out, you know, where I was going to get money to eat because I didn't necessarily have commissary on my on my scholarship. I might have books and tuition, but my apartment might have not been being paid for or my food. So this allows me as an athlete now to earn money outside my sport and to to make an honest living and income while I'm in college. No different than any other college kid that can have that can make a living as well as be a student. Talking with Eddie Rojas, the CEO and founder of the Gators Collective, the new uh, name and image likeness deal for uh, you know current Gators at the University of Florida. Eddie, you you talked about you know being able to have players, being able to work. For those people who don't know, when it comes to being a student athlete, the one thing we don't have is time. It's not as if the players don't want to work, but because their time is so limited, without an NIL type you know uh, component 
being added to their schedule, they wouldn't have any means outside of maybe a Pell Grant, and that's depending on their parents' income. They wouldn't have any means of getting uh, any type of revenue, taking nothing away from the scholarship. That's a great point. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, we just are leaving football season now, going into some of the other sports. But during football season, we worked closely to get to know what the players' schedules were. So every Sunday at the Gator Collective, we'd want to be cognizant of their tedious schedule. And folks, if you're listening to this, the, the host, Ben Troop, he knows firsthand. Um, it is a seven-day-a-week schedule as an athlete at Florida or at any of these great institutions that players are athletes at. And so what I like about the NIL, it's very specific on what the players can do with time. So at the Gator Collective, just so you guys that are listening know about us, we're a fan club. What we create is fan experiences with the players. So what we would do is get the player's schedule, and let's say we were doing a bowling event, which we actually happen to do during football season. We didn't want to get in the way of, of their workouts, their schoolwork, um, their football schedules, travel. So we would pick a day, call it Sunday afternoon, when we knew that that week was over, they, they had Sunday off, and we had uh, an event where we had five families who won the raffle, they got to spend the afternoon with 15 football players. They were, you know, free drinks, free food, play, uh, bowl, uh, bowling, um, just hanging out, getting to know them personally. But those are the types of events that we did that the players were compensated to do, which is exciting because the fans get to connect with the players. The players are earning an income, making sure that the fans, the, the fans ultimately, the customer, the fans are having a great time. Uh, so we did things like that that they can earn money going to. We did a tailgate outside of a basketball game. So some football players went with some fans. Um, Shannon Snell, uh, another great Gator great who happens to own Sonny's Barbecue, he came out and made relationship ribs. You got fans and players eating together, hanging out. And, I mean, it's just amazing. We uh, The fans would come back after these events and just rave. Can't, I cannot believe I had the opportunity to meet Derek Wingo or hang out with Anthony Richardson. Um, we had uh, Jervon Dexter calling calling a, a kid on Christmas morning. He got, he got a new cell phone from his parents. And, and Jervon Dexter, he videotapes um, uh, congratulations to the kid on getting his first phone. And you see the kid's face light up, and his brother comes running over. He's like, oh, my goodness. It's, it's Jervon Dexter, you know. And so what a cool way for athletes to earn a living just being with their, with their fans and connecting with them. And that's what the Gator Collective is all about, bringing the fan and the athlete together for an exclusive experience. Uh, we're doing things even on spaces on Twitter and, and podcasts and, and, and getting the opportunity to be part of shows with Ben Troop and, and things like that to get the fans to get to know the athletes better as well. Talking with Eddie Rojas, CEO and founder of the Gators Collective. This is Troop Talk every week. I'm sitting down with one of the some of the greatest among us. And Eddie, it's something you keep uh, you know uh, harping on. I think uh, hopefully the listeners are getting is sometimes the players don't understand just how much they mean to the people that support them, to the, how much they mean to the people that cheer for them. We talk about the young man who got the cell phone. Jervon Dexter didn't never ever know that he would be able to do things like that. How much of the Gators Collective is more than just obviously them being able to have somewhere to work, but being able to show them, do your brand far away from the playing field. Yeah, so uh, for, from the player perspective, I mean, my goodness, I'm learning it. Like anything else, I said, we have a couple of slogans at the Gator Collective. One is stay aggressive. The other one is, um, you know, we want to be more than just brokering the athlete to a business, right? A lot of NILs, a lot of name, image, and likeness companies work on the brokerage side. 
uh, get the fan with the company, right? Uh, the, uh, excuse me, get the athlete with the company to represent the sneaker to the fan, right? We wanted to do more than that. We wanted it to be an experience, right? So we wanted to take the athlete, get the fan to know the athlete personally, and then also help craft the athlete. So this is the neat part. You guys are going to love this listening to this. We have PR professors at UF involved at the Gator Collective. They're doing seminars and, and opportunities for the athletes to learn how to brand themselves, how to get, when they get an opportunity to speak in public, how to present that. And so we're working, we're working with professors. We're working with CPAs to talk about the tax situation. As we all know, all adults know, right, that have been working for years, paying taxes is part of life. Well, who's going to help the athlete do that? So we're working with CPAs. We're working with financial advisors to discuss investing with the athlete. We had one of the athletes come to us and say, I'm really into real estate. I really want to learn about real estate. I'm from South Florida. Can you connect me with somebody in Gator Nation that might be part of real estate in that world? And then we're connecting them with uh, a member of the fan club that owns a, uh, a, bil- uh, a builder, uh, a building company in South Florida. So it's doing a lot more than just even providing a job. It's creating a, a, a community and a culture that we want to create at Florida, which is when you become part of Gator Nation, you're because, this is a for-life thing. We don't want you to play football here or baseball or basketball and then just go to the NFL or go do what you're going to do and just become another you know, face in the crowd. We want the people that, have, that are established to get to know you as well. And so uh, the one, one thing I want to add to this is the cost. This is so cool. People can become part of the fan club for as little as $6 a month. Where I came up with that is – Every morning I drop my kids off at school, I go to a coffee shop, and I buy my wife an iced latte, uh, the, uh, the large version of it. And they charge me $5.89 for an iced latte. And I started seeing people line up at this coffee shop, and there's 30 people in line waiting for a $6 coffee. And I started thinking in my head, if you can afford $6 a day for a coffee, and you're in this parking lot with a Gator license plate, or a Gator logo, or you're wearing a Gator shirt, would you be willing to pay $6 a month to create an environment, an NIL opportunity at, at your favorite school at, with, for your favorite team and for your favorite players? And if you add up hundreds of thousands of us doing 6 bucks a month or whatever we can afford, we are going to be able to do amazing NIL opportunities for the athletes. Eddie Rojas, CEO and founder of the Gators Collective, the Name and image likeness uh, that's going on right now. Uh, you know, in games we're trying to do all things for those for those uh, Gator athletes there, men and women alike. And Eddie, you know, uh, the one thing I can say about you know partnering with you guys and working with you guys, when I think about something that I want to be able to help be a part of, when you talk about today's student athletes, you know, for us, by us, for them, and you talk about being able to have the fan engagement, uh, young men being able to come up to you, tell you about what they want to do in life, past the playing field. The one thing I know the Gators Collective can do it is it is getting these young student athletes to embrace 
who they were if this sport didn't exist, even though the sport is the vehicle pushing them through school. I think it's brilliant, man. I'm looking forward to working with you. I think it's I'm happy that it's, I'm happy that you came up with it. Like I said, recruiting is one thing. Making sure these young people know they got a they got a family that's wrapping our rounds, uh, wrapping our arms around them. As they say, it takes a village. I'm happy to be a part of the village, Eddie. I really, really appreciate. You taking the time today, man. Obviously, you know, we're going to be working with each other very closely, uh, you know, in the next coming years, man. I'm looking forward to it. I really appreciate the platform, Ben. One thing I want to tell the audience, how do you become a member? You go to uh, thegatorcollective.com, thegatorcollective.com, and you click commit now, and you could become a member of the Gator Collective just like that. And uh, we open you up to some exclusive opportunities. We have big things planned for you. Thank you so much, Ben, for the opportunity. I mean, thank you, Eddie, for coming on. Wide receiver has entered the transfer portal, but wait. Uh-oh. That's not it. More breaking news out of the University of Georgia. JT Daniels has entered the transfer portal, but wait. Wait a minute. There's still more. Uh-oh. Stetson Bennett has said he is coming back to the University of Georgia to play another season. So within the last 30 to 40 minutes, a little breaking news. Jermaine Burton is gone. JT Daniels is gone. Stetson Bennett, though, coming back. Ooh, the band has definitely broke up. That leaves no, that leaves Carson Beck. I mean, you're waiting to see what he's going to do. But Stetson, we said, Kevin, I mean, he was the domino, right? Wherever he failed, we'll decide what happens. But JT Downs realized, look, man, it's already a crowded room. I've, I've done this for two years. I'm not going to do it a third year. I, at least I get to add national champion to my resume before I move on. Jermaine Burton, the guy that was picked to do big things, him and George Pickens going into the season. With George Pickens moving on to the National Football League, Jermaine Burton saying, look, this ain't the offense that I thought it was going to be. I have to defer to a fresh tight end by the name of Brock Bowers. I'm getting up out of here, and obviously, you know, Stetson Bennett decided saying, hey, man, I want to run it back one more again. I gave y'all two years. I gave you a natty. I want to try to win the SEC and the natty. Kirby, I will be back. It will be an open competition in the spring. Kevin, how different this team will look in 2022. Yeah, a lot of guys going to the NFL, a lot of guys in the transfer portal. Got some big comeback. I think Stetson, again, uh, I will say for BJ's point, you bring it back a guy, even if Again, there's five-star guys that are wanting to play. You bring back a guy that just led you to a national championship. That experience is worth something. Uh, certainly coming back, Nolan Smith coming back. Yep. A, lot of, a lot of talk about Nolan saying, look, Smith brothers, yeah. Smith, Smith, uh, Smith and safety. Uh, you know, uh, you got Nolan Smith, you got Robert Bill. I mean, you got some yeah. big-time guys coming back. But JT Daniels is no longer in the red and black. Uh, Jermaine Burden say he's moving on. I mean, there's a team of Florida. <clears throat> if you're looking for, I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just saying. If you're looking for one, but no, Kevin. I mean, you knew it was going to be different. This happens on every championship team, whether it be college or pro. It's not going to be the same guys. And think about it, guys getting in the portal coming from Georgia trying to benefit from the fact that hey man, you just saw me on national TV being the last team standing. I could definitely help your ball club. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think this is one of those where I think nobody is. Shaking the fact that they won a national championship, I think people look at it and go, you just won a natty. Why are you leaving? I think once you got that, now had Georgia lost again to Alabama, Ben, I don't know that this many guys would be transferring mm-hmm, out. They might mm-hmm. be coming back saying, look, let's run this back and, and try to do it again. But you have the natty, and you get in that ring, and if you're Jermaine Burton, maybe you look around and go, man, I just, I just thought I'd be a bigger part of the offense yeah. than I was. Didn't get as many touches as maybe yeah. I would. Elsewhere, I got my championship. That's what I wanted to do. Now, it's me time. Uh, you know, uh, we, we say big team, little me. Now mm-hmm. it's little team, big me. You better get right. Uh, I'm going to go put out a year of tape that gets me to the National Football League. And I think that's what certain guys are thinking when you see them transfer uh, from successful programs. You're like, look, this guy was a starting wide receiver. 
yeah, maybe didn't put up the numbers, and maybe even with George Pickens saying, I don't know if, if I'm going to get the targets that I that I want to uh, to potentially uh, boost my profile. And that's the only thing I can say as uh, why a guy like Jermaine Burton is transferred. Look, I'm going to go to a different offense where maybe I can get more looks, more touches, maybe make some more explosive plays. Not that he had a bad season. I think mm-hmm. people would say he underachieved a little yeah. bit this year. But has the natty, can't take that away, and now go – to a place where you can put up numbers. Well, Kevin, I mean, the one thing that's always, uh, you know, is going to be supreme. You you go to the, you go to these colleges because one, I want to have the team success, but I don't want to sacrifice my individual success in the process. That's why Jermaine Burton, JT Daniels, all these guys getting in the portal. But you got a bunch of guys, man, moving on to Green the Patty. If you was on that defense, Trayvon Walker, the Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis, probably going to go on to the National Football League and be first round picks when the Kobe Dean having the highest grade. But yes, Burton, JT Daniels. Out, Stetson Bennett's back. Carson Beck is saying, what the hell? We will see what happens in 2022. Yeah, and again, so a little breaking news there. Uh, Jermaine Burton is gone. JT Daniels is gone. Both have entered the the transfer portal. And who knows where JT is going to end yeah. up being. I mean, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of schools that would take him right now. Yes. Walking in and say, hey, you're yes. a former highly talented quarterback. Yeah, you didn't didn't get to play that much at, uh, at Georgia, but we'll take you right now and can come in. And start day one, Stetson Bennett coming back. And a lot of people saying, all right, the Carson Beck watch is on now. If, if Stetson comes back with two very highly touted quarterbacks behind him, does Carson Beck kind of look at and read the room, so to speak, Ben, and say, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to get my chance uh, here to play at, at the University of Georgia the way I want to other than 42 to nothing or something like that. You hope that Carson Beck understands that, look, man, this might be his last chance, his best chance to finally go out and get a team. We've got so much to get to uh, tomorrow. If you missed any portion of the show, ESPNCoastal.com. Go to our YouTube page at ESPN Coastal and get the podcast and version of the show. We'll see you tomorrow, Thursday edition of 3 and Out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.